0: Paul carries on noting that the Steiners are illiterate taking over for connect- uh, taking over for con- uh, Why can i not say this Paul carries on noting that the Steiners are illiterate taking over co- <sighs> Okay, i clearly need to change how i say this illiterate here. yes <laughs> <laughs> it's it's ironic isn't it okay Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days and not so good old days of world championship wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by a man who missed last year's podcasting tournament due to injury, but was still in the opening video package, Alec Bridgen. Dora, my bone spurs are much better now. (laughs) And the master of the Fool Nelson, John Mullins.
1: I don't even know how to do that move.
0: Today we're taking a look at the first Starcade of the 1990s, Starcade '90 Collision Course. Starcade '90 was broadcast on December 16, 1990, from the Kiel Auditorium in St. Louis, Missouri, in front of 7,200 fans, 6,357 paid, with an additional 175,000 tuning in by pay-per-view. As a side note, that's the highest number of pay-per-view buys for a Starcade so far but it's also the lowest number of pay-per-view buys for a WCW show overall for
2: 1990.
0: Ouch. Yeah. Ooh. As another side note, over on the WWF side of things, WrestleMania this year drew a crowd of 64,287, 61,864 paid, and 550,000 pay-per-view buys to see Sting's former tag team partner, the Ultimate Warrior, best perennial champion Hulk Hogan for the WWF title. It was clearly a good year for wrestlers in face paint, as like his former tag team partner, Sting has also ascended as world champion this year, but now he faces his greatest, or at least silliest, challenge yet.
1: Pie-eating contest. (laughs) (laughs) I think he'd excel at that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Nope, it's the mysterious Black Scorpion, a masked wrestler who's been tormenting Sting with clues to his identity for months. Tonight... It's title versus mask. Sting will reveal the Black Scorpion's identity or lose his hard-won World Heavyweight Championship trying. We get an amazing opening this year, set in outer space with loads of asteroids flying around, interspersed with pictures of the wrestlers in frames shaped like the player's ship from the game Asteroids, which released in 1979. Wrestling, as always, is on the cutting edge of pop culture. In all fairness, it's a pretty fun intro and a pretty high tech one for 1990. Mm-hmm. I love the Starcade logo this year, too, with the starburst effect in the middle of the logo. Very colorful. It cost
1: an extra five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it.
0: JR welcomes us to the show alongside co host Paul E. Dangerously, and we get a shot of the crowd and the stage as the fireworks go off. The stage has the WCW letters in the center, framed by twin multicolored stars. Not as cool as last year's stage, but still a nice design, and I appreciate seeing more work put into these than in the past. I do wonder why the WCW letters are kind of slanted diagonally, though. It looks a bit awkward.
3: Well, they're on the rise. They're going up.
0: <laughs> Okay. It's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also have an elevated entrance ramp this year, heading all the way to the ring at pretty much the same height as the mat. I love that kind of setup. I wish it was something used more often by wrestling promotions. It looks cool, and I think it allows for more variety in spots when fighting outside the ring.
3: I liked it a lot, um, with the exception of the weird sudden drop off right at the end. Mm-hmm. It's a little odd.
1: I think it's great that you know we're getting shots now of of just the
0: the wrestlers and not them wading through the crowd. True. Yeah, they always used they used to have like the got Find your way through the crowd and clamber over the barricades and stuff like that to get in. So there's definitely an improvement over that.
1: And I'm sure the crowd, I mean, unless you're right up against it, you, you know, you might uh, appreciate it that you're getting a similar view no matter where you're at.
0: <laughs> True, yeah. JR gives best wishes to the troops in Operation Desert Shield and throws to Paul, who builds up the Black Scorpion angle and the Mask versus Title match. JR goes over the Tag Team Tournament, the United States Title match and the world tag team title match, as well as announcing that Dick the Bruiser will be the referee for the world title match. Ring announcer Gary Michael Capetta introduces the greatest promoter of all time, Missouri's own Sam Munchnik, to intro the show. The microphone proceeds to immediately stop working, so we miss a lot of his speech. He says something about promoting here for 37 years and wrestling being the world's oldest sport, and a great sport. He thanks the crowd and seems genuinely touched by their cheers and welcomes them to St. Louis. I wish the microphone had worked properly, but this still came off kind of nice.
3: Well, bear in mind, he's a former promoter, so he probably owed the sound guy like five bucks. And he's like, oh, you know what? I'm turning your mic off
1: now. <laughs> no, they are they're they have to have some sort of glitch. I think it's it would be even worse luck
0: if they didn't have some sort of audio or visual issue right off the bat. If it goes wrong early, it won't go wrong later on. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> The National Anthem appears to start up early, as Capetta talks through about half of it, announcing that the show is being taped for broadcast to the armed forces before he finally asks people to stand for the National Anthem when it's about, you know, half to three quarters over. <sighs> it never quite goes right. No, there it is. We've got 14 matches this year, so strap in, folks. It's going to be a long one. 13. I slept through one. <laughs> Uh, Let's go to the ring. Our first match is beautiful Bobby Eaton versus the Z-Man.
3: Tom Zink was a young prospect who came in the beginning of 1990, just after the last Starcade. He was in a promising run as a co-holder of the USA Tag Team Titles with Brian Pillman before I got injured. comes back from injury shortly before this show and he built up his 35-match winning streak. I'm sure it will be the longest winning streak in history of w <laughs> Bar none. I don't know if this is an issue of their taping schedule, because they're at the point where they're taping two or three shows at once in the Disney complex they save money. But from all the notes I have, Tom Zink won the TV title off R. Anderson on December 4th, 1990. Even though he doesn't come out as the TV champion here on December 16th, nor does he have the title, nor is it mentioned nor is it shown with Anderson. Hmm. As for Bobby Eaton, obviously, we know him from Midnight Express. There was a lot of issue when new management came in earlier in the year. We lost a bunch of people, unfortunately, to that, two of whom were the Road Warriors, who went to WWF, and also we lost Midnight Express, who went to SMW, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Eaton decided to stay, so he was sort of put in an awkward spot of being a singles wrestler now. He's trying to find his spot while Tom Zink is trying to sort of build up to a big new
0: spot coming in. This year, we sometimes, or most of the time, get Starcade stats for the wrestlers during their entrances. It's kind of a nice touch, honestly. I like these nods to wrestling as a sport, but you have to do them consistently and, if I'm honest, better than they end up doing them. Eaton's picture on the stats page is incredibly dull. Yes. Just him in a basic WCW collared shirt, just kind of standing there. At least show him in his entrance gear or something. The Midnight Express is no more, but he's still using the music. His opponent, the Z-Man, likes to utilize a dropkick from the top rope, if possible. <laughs> it's good to know that he doesn't like to use it when it's impossible. That seems like it'd be a tougher strategy to implement.
3: It's all about qualifiers here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paul says that Z-Man has been hiding in tag wrestling, but Eaton's been in tag wrestling because he's the greatest tag team wrestler in history, and now he's out to prove he can be a singles wrestler too. So I guess Paul came around to Eaton after the Midnight's versus Midnight's feud.
3: Yeah, given mm-hmm. that he was literally trying to kick them out of the company, yes. Yeah. Apparently so.
0: All on water under the bridge.
1: Don't you think it would be a better entrance uh, thing if they played after midnight? Like the actual, I think that would be like, you know, someone would uh, recognize that and appreciate it. There you go. Yeah. Or around midnight. I don't know if they want to play
3: copyright music on the show like this. They wouldn't want to get (laughs) in trouble.
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah. We're told that Ric Flair has withdrawn from the world tag team title match due to injury. More on that later. Likely story. Uh, John, are you, are you suggesting that Ric Flair might not be telling the truth? I would never suggest that.
3: (laughs) In this world, there's only two people I can trust, Ric Flair and Nick Patrick.
0: I know you'll never be disappointed. Never. The match starts up and Z-Man gains advantage and gets a series of quick pin attempts off of crossbodies, but Eaton keeps kicking out and gets in the ropes to break his momentum. Paul explains that Eaton is no longer a member of the Midnight Express because his partner started dating Yoko Ono and the tag team split up. The Beatles disbanded in the 1970s. Asteroids. <laughs> yeah. Z-Man stays in control through some counter-wrestling, but Eaton counters a whip with a shoulder block and hits some weird elbow strikes, placing the elbow against Z-Man's head and hitting his fist with the other hand to drive the elbow in. It kind of seems less effective that way.
3: It's just like a weird stylistic thing, I guess. Yeah. But I noticed that anyone else do it in the history of ever, so...
0: It actually looks kind of neat, but it just then you actually think about it. They're just trying to change it up. <laughs> Z-Man nicely counters a monkey flip by landing on his feet and hits a couple good drop kicks for two. Not the top rope kind, though. That's not possible yet. Eaton slows him down and lands some hard punches that knock him to the ramp, so Z-Man suplexes Eaton out on the ramp. JR says that's not a DQ because Z-Man was outside himself. Paul says that should make it even more illegal. I'm not entirely sure what that would mean. Does he lose a second match, too? or <laughs> I, I assume he just talking a really mean voice to him when you tell him that i guess so jr calls paul psycho ceramic a crackpot <laughs> jr brings up his past as a ref but paul says that jr was so good at being a ref that he had to become an announcer to make a living ouch
3: <laughs> no response no. jr just moves on yes
0: eaton hits his big leg drop off the top but z-man counters a second jumping move with a bad super kick Z-Man goes up, but Eaton dodges the top rope dropkick. But, but the Starcade stats told me he'd only do that when it was possible. How could they lie to me like this? Yeah. I'm only going to believe Ric Flair and Nick Patrick from now on, like you, Al. Solid choice. <laughs> Eaton rolls the stunned Z-Man up for the win. I made note of
3: how quick everything was, which is nice for an opening match. Other shows have been kind of slower slogs or had, you know, different people in it. I can see why they would go with this as their opening match if you're not going to start with the tournament, which I guess they aren't. My problem, I think, is just really with the finish because we know from other shows, not just like Starcade from other shows in the buildup, that that leg drop is Bobby Eaton's finisher. There's a clash where he almost pinned Ric Flair with that, so it's a big deal. And he just does it and then kind of stands there like, yeah, I hit the move, and then doesn't try to pin him. It'd be like if don't like Steve Austin is the stunner and then sort of stands around for five minutes and picks him back up for a suplex afterwards. Yeah. The real blemish in the match is the dropkick that uh, supposedly Tom Zigg was trying to do at the end. Because clearly he knew that he was not going to hit. So he yeah. tried to like flatten his body out as much as possible and make a back bump rather than like a... To be fair, an awkward, I'm sure painful side bump.
0: Yeah. well, I mean, it's it's kind of looks like he's coming down for a leg drop at first rather than a drop kick, but he's in standing, so. I think he slipped. Like it, you lo- know? it looks like it.
3: But he he makes the distance forward, though, so I, I can't, I don't think yeah. it's that. It really is just, my theory is just him kind of compensate because he didn't want to take the bump. That yeah. would be if you actually did a drop kick and then fell like two more feet under your hip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overall, I liked it though. It's just those couple of weird bits, and obviously that, oh, the suplex at the outside was a little awkward at the end. That might be an effect of the incline ramp.
0: There's a little bit of unevenness just right near the end of the ramp, and that I would imagine makes your keeping your footing and landing correctly kind of hard.
3: Well, and also, if you notice, Zink is standing at the very end, which is lower at a slant. Yeah. Weirdly, he's dropping the guy at a higher point on the ramp as well, so I think he might yeah. be throwing off the timing.
0: I can see that, yeah.
3: So a solid opener though.
1: I was wondering if they were going to work in like a pistachio commercial with all the the bright green <laughs> uh, at some point. I didn't know if they, that they haven't been doing that till recently, but I enjoyed the costumes, not really costumes, it's just 90s. And yes. uh <laughs> you know, it was a quick match. They both tried to do their things from the top ropes and uh <laughs> with Varying success. <laughs> <laughs> I I was transfixed by the mullet and um, oh yeah, yeah the the main or whatever you want to call it uh, <laughs> throughout the match and uh, the the finishing was I just wasn't expecting that. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a bit of a shock.
1: Overall, you know, it was, it was a fun match and uh, it didn't drag out and I, I uh, thought it was good
0: yeah i'm i'm I think I'm on the same side as you guys on that. Not a bad opener at all. It's a pretty fast pace, involves some pretty good high-flying moves, the final drop kick aside, and some acrobatic spots. and I liked how the tone of it kind of changed as the match went on. It started out feeling almost like respectful competition, but it got more aggressive, first with Eaton sneaking in some blows, then with Z-Man landing some nasty punches late in the match in repayment. Z-Man seemed athletically gifted but inconsistent. I could he could that. pull off some impressive spots, but he sometimes looked awkward. Some of his early moves looked a bit scary, and as we mentioned, that final miss top rope dropkick just didn't look like a dropkick. Eaton proved that he was just as capable of a singles wrestler as a tag wrestler, and both guys had varied offense, so it was a pretty fun watch overall. They kept it straightforward and just had a fun match.
3: Tom Zink may or may not have been TV champion in this match. Either way, it wasn't a title match. Unfortunately, Tom Zink's... TV title reign is not long. I bet you can guess which month he lost it in. January. He did. Yay! So that creates two notable stats. Tom Zink is the last person to hold the fully NWA TV title, hmm. which makes Arn Anderson the first person to hold the official WCW TV title. Okay. Because tra- the full transition to the title naming happened during that point.
0: So Arn Anderson beats him for it.
3: Yes. Yay! That's a, a weird thing where is kind of like the default to norm for the TV title. Yeah. Because it happened last year with Muda.
0: He's just a dependable guy. Oh, yeah. That you can have on it, so.
3: When he literally holds the title from that match after Starcade up until like two weeks before Starcade. Okay. Bobby Eaton starts his, continuing his solo career at this point. He actually ends up winning the TV title from Mark Anderson a couple months from there as well. Hmm. So it's all sort of connected on the title. Even though it's not a title match. Interesting. Yep.
0: Tony Schiavone is back.
3: Hey.
0: His mustache, sadly, is not. Aw. He introduces Dick the Bruiser.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, Dick the Bruiser! Now, Dick, I know you're aware that World Championship Wrestling has changed your assignment for this evening's match. You will now be the special referee for the cage match with Sting and the Black Scorpion, and no one knows more about a cage match than you. I'm the champion of all cage matches. I've never lost a cage match. I know everything that's going to go on. I've heard there's more than one Black Scorpion, and I know there's a cage. Believe me, Sting will get a fair shake. I'll make sure there's a winner and I'll see that it's square. Alright, from Dick the Bruiser. Right now let's go back to the ring and Gary Capetta.
0: I don't know why, but I really love how he says, I'll see that it's square. That's just like that line in particular. I think it's the hand motions he's making mm-hmm. at the same time. Where he's like, it just has one finger out on one on one hand and just like making these very stiff, like uh, jerky motions for it. <laughs>
3: You wouldn't want to come out and, and be surprised and find out the cage is round, now would you?
0: That would be a problem, yeah. <laughs> we go back to the ring, and Gary Michael Capetta introduces the tag team tournament in honor of former NWA World Heavyweight Champion Pat O'Connor, who passed away in August of 1990. The trophy is brought out, as he notes that the winners will be acknowledged as champions of the universe. Ooh, so close. Yeah.
3: Are they gonna defeat He Man for that?
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Men at <in> arms.
0: <laughs> there you go. The participating nations are introed, but rather than the teams themselves coming out, ladies in sparkly dresses bring out the flags of the nations as sparkly pyro goes off. The crowd doesn't really seem to like anybody but the USA, but they really hate Japan. They clearly need to play more Nintendo.
3: They're just hold they're still holding a grudge. Yeah. The long-term grudge (laughs) town.
0: The announcers do note that the U.S. team, the Steiners, are hoping to face Japan later in the tournament, so maybe that explains it. Yeah. So, many of the matches on this show are a tag team tournament, which I'm sure you can guess I was thrilled about after last year. Oh, yeah. But (laughs) But this time it is a single elimination tournament rather than a tournament for points. So, if you lose a match, you're out. The first match of the tournament is the team from South Africa, Colonel DeClerc and Sergeant Kruger, versus the team from the United States, Rick and Scott Steiner. The Steiners come out to the United States National Anthem, but the South African team just comes out to vaguely intimidating militaristic music. JR requests that we get to see the Starcade stats before the match gets underway, and repeats himself on that. Did someone forget? <laughs> Paul takes over for cornet, noting that the Steiners are illiterate. We don't get stats for the South African team; would have probably helped since we have no idea who these guys are. The crowd chants USA as De Clercq amusingly tries to shush them. Kruger gets utterly destroyed by Rick to start, culminating in a vicious Steiner line. He quickly tags De Clercq, and they try a team clothesline, but Rick nails them both with Steiner lines. DeClerc gets a spinning wheel kick to knock Rick through the ropes for a dive outside, but Rick mostly fails to catch him, and the camera catches Rick just kind of helplessly laughing for a few moments. Back in, Rick casually dodges a clothesline and brings in Scott to wrap things up with slams to both South Africans, a -a tilt-a-whirl to DeClerc, and a Frankensteiner to finish him off. Scott nicely shifts position on the pin to guard against a charging Kruger as Rick blocks... Less nicely, he seems to get off to clerk before the three count. Steiner's win, anyway.
3: So maybe they weren't a and they were just really bad at math.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but I, d- I don't know. Al Scott Steiner at least seems to be pretty darn good at math.
3: Well, yeah, you know, he t- he took classes later. <laughs> he took his GED on top of his you know college degree.
1: <laughs> I liked that there was immediate action. Like I was like, oh, we're in the match. Okay, great. <laughs> And then the South African guy jumps out and immediately like tries to break his own neck. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "See, self-destructive." Yeah, uh, and um, there wasn't a point in this match. I mean, the match only lasted—I don't even know how long. Like, like it's probably three or four minutes, but it felt like one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really short.
3: It's closer to like two and a half, three minutes. Yeah, I think mean, that time frame. And of me.
1: It, it had some, you know, high intensity moves. Uh, you know, people were flying left and right, and. Uh, the finishing was just freaking awesome, uh, especially like, like, you know, like if they did any of the um, jumping that they did in this one in the first match, it would have been a much better match. But <laughs> I it I, I was like a backflip suplex or w- w- what's the name of that move, Al or Bob?
0: Which the the final? the I jump in the air and,
1: and, and then grab your neck with my legs and then do a backflip.
0: <laughs> That's the Frankensteiner. Okay,
1: well, that was freaking awesome. It was really smooth, and, you know, it really stood out. You know, the replays and everything. So yeah. I liked the match, short, sweet, and, uh, you know, of course the crowd did too. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, no, I I liked it for what it was. it was. Obviously, the story there is just hit a few moves and the Steiners beat them up, so the Steiners advance. Clearly, the focus is not on these two guys from South Africa as being big stars that they want to promote or, you know, protect at all. It was interesting. I think that's our first spinning heel kick from Dark Hair. Yeah. Arcade, we have
0: never seen that before either. That's a that's a really interesting move, yeah.
3: And it's not our first dive because I think weirdly I think Sting does it. No, uh, excuse me. The, uh, Hector Guerrero does it, I Hector believe.
0: Guerrero does one first, yeah. Which makes sense. It's Hector Sting, Guerrero and then one Sting as well, yeah.
3: yeah. But it's like and it's our first flipping one cuz most than they did the cro- they did the one where you just sort of throw yourself over the top rope. Yeah. In hindsight, maybe he should have done the one they did. <laughs> <laughs> what have it was painfully for him? Yes, it's good as a a quick show how tough the titans are. Which honestly, looking at, it, I'm most surprised they didn't just start up the tournament and have this be the only match of the show. It would have been a pace. very good one. Yeah, you could even split up the tag matches, which I know you would have liked. Yes, done two and then done the even one for some reason, but they didn't. That's yeah. what it is. What it is. It was fun just overall on a uneventful because there's no real story to
0: it yeah yeah uh really short but really energetic match uh de Klerk in particular was pretty impressive he was capable of some unexpected acrobatics <laughs> maybe as we pointed out too unexpected as it definitely looked like rick just really wasn't ready in position to catch him on that outside dive i'm not sure if the match might have been cut short as a result de Klerk did seem to hit his head but he also seemed fine to continue and took several more moves so Like you, I think it was just, that's the plan. The Steiners come off looking really strong. It's just, with the botch, it gets a little bit awkward in the middle. Mm. Scott's tilt-a-whirl slam and Frankensteiner were really beautiful. And I think we can give some of the credit for the latter to DeClerc, who just seemed to know exactly how to take that right. The finish is slightly botched, but still a fun little match here. I really would have loved actually to see a little more from these two teams. Yeah. Give it a bit more time, I bet they could have had a fun longer match too.
3: I can definitely see that. Yeah. So this may surprise you or not, but neither man in the team is actually South African.
0: I'm not surprised.
3: Basically they needed an extra foreign team and they took two guys that had worked for the company or in the way at some point, you know, said, Grow your stubble and put on fatigues and now you're South African. Okay. And obviously it doesn't matter that much because you're gone in the first round. So Kruger, the larger of the two men without the beard, is Matt Bourne, a.k.a. Dornk the Clown.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, no. Also
3: from the first WrestleMania as well, yes. under his actual name. Yeah. The clerk is Theodore Petty, a.k.a. Rocco Rock from Public Enemy.
0: Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. You can see it now, can't you? I can see it now, but I can't picture, like, Wow. It's a big change in look overall. No, that's that's interesting. I'm not a particularly big fan of Public Enemy. But, he is uh, not. No. It's in the name. But I liked him here. He did a good job here. So, Yeah. Wow, I would never have called that. hmm Never. The second match of the tournament is the team from Great Britain, Norman Smiley and Gentleman Chris Adams, versus the team from Mexico, Rey Mysterio and Conan. The Adventurer. <laughs> that, is, that is what he's based off of. He, he goes by Conan El Barbero in Mexico for a while. Which is
1: Spanish for the Barbero. Yes. yes. Okay, good.
0: The crowd is all right with the Brits now. Sarkade stats tell us that Norman Smiley is a tremendous mat wrestler. I'm sure that he'll continue to be known for that and only that and maintain an entirely dignified career.
1: Absolutely. He can take down mats with the best of them.
0: There you go. <laughs> Ray Mysterio is announced as Mysterio, but his name is misspelled during his entrance, and the Starcade stats as Mysterique. JR calls him Mysterique at first, then corrects himself to Mysterio.
3: The thing that's funny about that to me is, he jokes about his pronunciation, so he's sort of implying that IC is somehow IO in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> which is extra weird.
0: This, by the way, is Rey Mysterio, not Rey Mysterio Jr., who will later show up and amaze everyone with high-flying antics for years. Yes. Mysterio is also dressed a little bit more like a barbarian than Conan, whose outfit reminds me of the later Rey Mysterio Jr. looks, so I was actually a little bit confused about who was who at first. Uh, fortunately, JR clarifies it pretty fast. This is our first sighting of ref Randy Wee Anderson, who will be a common sight through the 90s. Smiley and Mysterio fight for leverage, and Conan comes in to help, but Smiley backflips in their grip and arm drags them down with the momentum. They clothesline him down and grab his legs, but Adams comes in and oddly dives over Smiley, and Mysterio and Conan just let go, I guess to be ready for him? Weird spot. Adams and Smiley dropkick Mysterio and Conan out onto the ramp. Paul makes offensive comments about Conan's parents, and JR says he needs a yapendectomy. Back in, Adams gets the better of Mysterio, and Mysterio rolls out of the ring, then tags Conan, which is apparently legal. Adams tags Smiley. Conan gets a dynamic arm drag off the top turnbuckle on Smiley, and more acrobatic moves, but Smiley fires back with a beautiful fisherman's suplex. The teams trade off double-teaming, and Adams hits a nice superkick into a back suplex by Smiley. Smiley and Conan come out even on a very smooth mat wrestling sequence. Adams gets knocked onto the announcer's table in a double elbow, and Paul complains. Conan gets a reverse suplex on Smiley, and an unusual bridging pin for the win, as Mysterio dives out onto the floor. The camera misses whether Mysterio hits Adams or not.
3: It looks like he doesn't, based on the aftermath they cut to. And
0: the thud that you can hear, too. Capetta yes. now calls Mysterio, Mysterioso, and a confused JR tries that one out, too, clearly uncertain which is the right name. <laughs> JR and Paul sell that the Mexican team has won, but now they're injured. Conan from an earlier match with Mil Mascaris and Mysterio from his dive.
3: Oh, it was definitely an interesting match. It's not the smoothest, I would say. There's points where they're clearly set, sort of rolling into a spot, or the part with Adams where he gets knocked off the table. It's kind of weird because he tags in Norman Smiley, but then they're to go after him and he rolls out and finally kind of waits there. And then starts going into it
2: mm-hmm.
3: so it's kind of weird because they clearly had stuff planned out like very sort of very meticulous with these spots like the flip over part the little drop kick but then just like the middle parts they didn't quite oil them together they're not sort of mm-hmm. in sync on that it's a weird mix of being almost too choreographed and being not choreographed enough <laughs> for me it doesn't really take away from the match too much um Overall, it's just coming out of cork of that. I really noticed on a replay and the second watch of it more than anything else. Adams' is drop oh, no, well, kick is good, too. Adams' is, super kick is really good, especially yeah. compared to the one we saw earlier, Tom Zink, who <laughs> yeah. did not fully extend because of the facing on it. Yeah. yeah. I will say I'm a little bothered by the first shot I see of Conan when he walks into the ring, past our camera, and all I can see is his back knee. Oh, yeah. And... Not inferring anything from that, but that's very distracting because that's my first sight of him once he enters a ring. It doesn't take away from how good he is, it's just very distracting. <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. I kind of wish this had gone longer as well, or this, or maybe this duo had met later so we get more of the Brits. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a really good spot in my smiley way. Really does the Fishman suplex from the floor? It was really good. Mm hmm. His technique is really good, so I it's just kind of a shame there's there's inconsistencies in that. For me it's a real match of real high and also real low just to get in the sink.
1: Hmm. I'm with Al on this. I wish I saw more of the Brits. Uh Smiley was really smooth with with just about everything they were doing. He looked like he um out of you know, that he wasn't flying around a lot, but you know, he was doing a good job rolling through and going with some of the moves to make it look like he's not going to get hurt because I was uh, like uh, a little bit on edge where um, he was sitting on the turnbuckle and uh, I thought Conan was going to hurt him, you know, and uh, he was able to kind of roll out when he was about to hit. And I was like, all right, good. Other than that, yeah, um, good match. The pin at the end was was odd. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be one of those things where you know they were going to do one of those controversial things like well his his shoulders were down too and and you mm-hmm. know it was going to go a different direction but
3: yeah his his bridge i will say yeah his bridge is kind of very close on there
0: it's very close but you can tell from from the up. from the camera angles his shoulders are up still so but it's, i think it's, like it's, a fraction it's just a of an thing inch. yeah
1: well he's bouncing actually like he's <laughs> a little bit yeah but yeah i i swear the the ref only had like two. <laughs> Everyone seemed surprised. Even one of them was scared that he won and just jumped out <laughs> to hurt himself. <laughs> I win.
3: Oh, internally I do have a theory on your confusion about the tax spot where he rolls out and then tax Conan. Yeah. So in Lucha rules, when someone is thrown out of the ring. Someone else is allowed to enter the ring. Yeah, it's a very open version of tag rules. So someone dives out, the next person on the, on the in the corner can just come in. Yeah. So uh, my theory is he started to do that, and then either remembered or Conan, I don't know, maybe Conan told him, and then he tags him there. Sort of spoiling the difference there. That's my that's my guess in that.
0: Yeah. Totally different than the tag matches that we've seen so far. I think. Yeah. They seem to play a little fast and loose with the rules, like we were saying about who was legally in the ring, and I've never seen a tag from the floor allowed before, but it features some really great double-team spots and some cool acrobatic work from both teams. Great fast pace, lots of excitement, and I appreciate that they mixed in some solid mat work with the high-flying too, so the match didn't get too one note. It did feel like the realism suffered a bit, nobody really seemed to feel extended effects from any of the moves, for the most part, until Mysterio's outside dive during the pin, which may be more legit pain than acting. They just kept moving otherwise. It did give the match a really unique feel, though. I think I'd get annoyed if every match was like this, but it was a breath of fresh air to see it here, as I've been getting really tired of regular tag matches over the past few shows. I I really, really liked this one. I I thought it was was pretty great, yeah.
3: Still be torn if we ever do any uh triple a shows or cross mode shows because every tag match is going to be like that yeah with with six or eight people maybe
0: i I, i'm not sure if i like this one so much because it's like the first time that i've seen something in more of a lucha style um, Mm. on our run or if it's you know something that'll still stand out later on when i see you know more of the cruiserweight matches but for this I, i really enjoyed this a lot
1: i like the aerobatics the spinning uh the one where uh he runs up the uh, turnbuckle and then uh whips smiley around and smiley flips i thought that was that was executed perfectly that was
0: really cool yeah they did a good job with that
3: chris adams is one of the guys that stays around wrestling for a long time his problem unfortunately is he has buddy and dell's issue to a certain extent so he doesn't stay too long in one place or another at least consistently so he'll be in and out of WWE multiple times. We'll probably only see him on a random show or like World War Three when they make but everyone in, yeah. in the ring. Even though they don't actually work there, <laughs> uh, he is notable for having the first match on Thunder. Oh. But other than that, it's he's those guys that went everywhere just couldn't stay because of a number of personal reasons. But other than his performance, is really good. Norman Smiley, we will see again later. His character, I think, next time we see him will be very different. Yeah. <laughs> I will know in his technical prowess. He he is currently the wrestling trainer in NXT, so yeah. he has proven here that he definitely
0: has the stuff. Yeah, that. off of this performance, I I have no problem with that whatsoever. Off of some of his later performances, I'd be like, why the heck did you hire this guy? But off of this performance, yes, absolutely. We go for an interview, and Missy Hyatt appears with Michael Wall Street, formerly Mike Rotunda, and Alexandra York.
4: Sandra York, who has recently been featured in the money section of USA Today and will be wrestling Terry Taylor here shortly. Now, on World Championship Wrestling, the computer predicted that Michael Wall Street would beat Terry Taylor here tonight in less than eight minutes
2: and 32 seconds. And he got a little upset about that, and Miss York had to put him in his place. Yes, I did, Missy, and everything you've said here tonight is completely accurate, with the exception of one thing. This computer doesn't deal in predictions. Solely cold, hard fact. And the fact of the matter is, Terry Taylor will lose to Michael Wall Street in less than eight minutes and 32 seconds. We warned him, we told him, we gave him the benefit of the doubt. I'm so proud to be employed by the man who's the most talked about man in the professional wrestling world, And the business world, Michael Wall
4: Street. Terry Taylor, it's obvious that Michael Wall Street is the news. And when I get finished with you, you're going to be yesterday's news, pal.
2: And now, let's go to the ring. (laughs)
0: Uh, Sadly, yesterday's news, not yesterday's newspaper. Yeah. (laughs) What if Wall Street's
1: his real name? (laughs) No No. (laughs) I'm joking.
3: Yeah. 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 The Clash champion before this, um, he officially talks about his name has been changed to that.
0: Yeah. Because he came into some money.
3: Yes. From being a boat captain. Yes. After he retired being a collegiate wrestler into his late 20s.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's a basic and short interview, but I think it is reasonably effective. Um, They get across their somewhat ridiculous gimmick and the power of computer science. Computer fact. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah facts facts it, only cold, hard facts, but it's I mean it hasn't happened yet, so it, it no. isn't a fact yet, it's a prediction
3: yes <laughs> oh well it it's the early version of what Paul Heyman says now, which is it's not a prediction, it's a spoiler,
0: yeah, York does flub some of her lines, and Wall Street doesn't speak for long enough to risk doing so himself, but it's a it's it's all right, it does amuse me that Wall Street's doing this wealthy Wall Street guy persona while still rocking that mullet.
3: <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't picture Christian Bale and Marine Psycho with that haircut. <laughs> you can't buy taste.
0: <laughs> there you go. The third match of the tournament is the team from New Zealand. That's Rip Morgan and Jacko Victory, also known as the Royal Family, versus the team from Japan, Mr. Saito and the Great Muda. I really love the Royal Family's entrance gear. It looks like they just walked in from the Renaissance Fair. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I'll buy a wooden sword from you.
0: (laughs) New Zealand's Starcade stats include qualifying late for the tournament. I feel like the quality of these stats is going downhill fast.
3: I will also note that Pat O'Connor was from New Zealand. So it's weird that, one, the heels are from New Zealand, two, they're treated like that.
0: And it's not even mentioned, I don't think. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Paul tells us that he thought Muta could have been the Black Scorpion, but Muta being in this tournament shoots that down. So the Black Scorpion is someone that wouldn't wrestle another match tonight. Hmm. Good to know. It's Alexandra York. <laughs> Victory and Muda are pretty even until Muda gets Victory on the ramp and dives off the top rope onto him, tags to Saito and Morgan, and Saito counters Morgan's strikes with a monster clothesline and a snap suplex. Tag to victory, and Saito cuts off his offense with an arm lock. JR notes he's like a Japanese version of the Steiners, but Paul argues the Steiners are American Saitos. Victory jabs Saito in the eye and both tag out. Morgan does a little better against Muda, but Muda hits a great spinning jump kick and a rapid elbow drop. Saito comes in, and he goes for the scorpion Deathlock. He's actually credited as the inventor of that hold, but Victory stops it. Morgan and Victory manage to finally wear Sayedo down, and Morgan hits a huge belly-to-back suplex before throwing him out of the ring and distracting ref Nick Patrick so Victory can beat Sayedo up outside. Back in, Sayedo escapes the leg drop and tags Muda, who quickly gets his handspring elbow on Victory before everyone gets in for a brawl. Muda gets knocked down, but Sayedo dodges a Morgan clothesline, and Morgan nails Victory, so Muda quickly springs up and German suplexes Victory for the win.
3: So this is the longest of these matches so far, so that could really be a positive or a negative. Uh, in this case, it's kind of a split for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that invested in Rip Morgan or Jack Victory. I'm confused to call him Jack of Victory because that just sounds really weird stupid.
0: Sounds like he's Irish instead of New Zealand. Yes. Are...
3: Which I guess is the only connection to Pat O'Connor. There you go. So I guess. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine that's a positive connection there, <laughs> yeah. but hey, there you go. The people that really shined for me were definitely Saito and Muda. Muda was kicks are always obviously really great. We don't get the performance obviously from the last show where someone's really, really injured and he gets to work off of that. Yeah. So in this case it's it's just real quick strikes like that jumping strike. And in some cases he's actually almost too energetic for it with his elbow as the being the big one. He jumps and like throws his like a soul back at the guy's face.
0: Yeah, he like actually clears his head with
3: the yeah. elbow. There is no elbow connection near the head at all.
1: <laughs> you don't need it.
3: <laughs> Arguably it's more effective if you know they're not going to move, you know, throw your body at them like that. Yeah. It's almost a reverse dinger
0: splash. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
3: I don't know. I, I liked the part with Saito and, and Muda, but like I said, Morgan and Victory didn't do a lot for me. They didn't mess anything up though, so it's not like they're bad and those two are good. It's just Saito and Muda are really, really good, especially seeing Saito for the first time on these shows. Morgan and Victory are okay. They're sort of passable guys to me, but the only do thing that especially stands out to me.
1: No, I like Muda's tag team partner. I guess this is the first time we see him he was throwing the new zealanders around a bit mm-hmm. you know i don't know what about them really stood out to me as new zealandish <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was a lot of great performances from both sides you know obviously one was supposed to be the victor uh, muda's flowing uh jumps and kicks and everything always impressed me uh He's one of the few people that when he throws the those chops, you know, he's putting his whole body into it. It actually looks like a more of a technique that rather than just moving their arm. Yeah. If he's pulling those, he's doing it with great skill because he's just doing it rapid fire, so...
3: Yeah, his big thing is... Um is the sort of snap he gets on moves. Yeah. Like his kicks and his chops and the elbow. Yeah, that elbow drop of him. Yeah, the, yeah. his rotating, and, yeah.
1: Yeah, he does like a full torso rotation for most of his moves, so that's probably why they look so powerful yeah. whipping it around. I was not expecting a suplex at the end. But I did find it funny that you know once the guy got clotheslined, he like looked behind to make sure he was lined up with <laughs> with Muda before he threw the move. <laughs> and, and you probably wouldn't notice it, but you know, like with the big hair, um, you know, it, it was just it was more pronounced, and I was just giggling. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was a fun match, and uh, I was impressed by uh, Team Japan. Not their clothes. That, that goes to New Zealanders.
0: Yeah, basic, but really solid match here. Everyone had something to contribute. Muda had his swift and sharp strikes and his agility. Morgan and Saido both had big power moves. And Victory, well, I'd say he was kind of the weak link of the match, less interesting than the others, did have some really good sneaky offense and some more painful-looking headlocks than most I've seen. Like, really wrenches on him and makes it look like it would hurt. thanks would say that. I really liked the ending spot. Uh, sure, it's the whole "everybody in time for the finish" thing that we saw so much last show, <laughs> but the timing was good and it caught me by surprise. Decent match, good ending, not memorable overall.
3: In the previous match, the Brits do a kick, knock the guy into a German suplex, but I'm guessing it was supposed to be Mysterio breaking it up, but he didn't. So they just sort of, kind sort of rolls off as he comes in, mm-hmm. and then the very next match. Almost the same spot as done and actually works.
0: Yeah, point. <laughs> a hit by your own partner is always much more uh, damaging than a hit by your opponent.
3: That's true. <laughs> the emotional pain is there. For yeah, sure. yeah. It's a heartbreak. So, Morgan and Victory, first off, they're not actually from New Zealand, just in case you're wondering. <sighs> yeah, Victory actually, it's funny. His blot in WSW was basically being a guy that was always at the shows. But it wasn't a big name, so they could just slap a mask on him. So on one clash, he's, he's the terrorist. On another clash, he's, you know, a masked assassin. The only time we've actually seen him officially on StarCAD until now was one half the Russian assassins. in everyone's favorite <laughs> match with uh, JYD and uh, Ivan Kolov. Yeah, that great, I know. Both of them lead W in mid-1991. They only have one actual, really, match of note besides this. Um, they find another person they challenge for the World Six-Man titles, which disappear after the Road Warriors, but then reappear, but just no one cares about them, basically. And just to sort of prove the point, the team holding the Six-Man Tag titles that defeats Morgan Victory and their partner is Tommy Rich, Ricky Morton, and JYD. Oh, boy. One of, like, three teams that hold the titles. Wow. On the bus side, I looked up Rip Morgan... He, when he retired from wrestling in the late 90s, he formed his own wrestling company in New Zealand, so did well for himself. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I liked his uh, his power moves. were pretty good, I thought.
3: I'd say look-wise, he reminded me of Billy Jack Haynes, but I think he had more going on. <laughs> but just fit, I can sort of stay some more build in the beard and everything.
0: Yeah. We go out just outside the ring to Paul E. Dangerously with Mr. Saito and the Great Muda.
4: I am standing here with Mr. Saito and the Great Muda. Obviously, you are gonna be looking at the brackets, Mr. Saito, and you have to be concerned, whether it be the Mexicans or the Soviet Union, the next team that you two are gonna to have to face tonight. Uh-huh. I don't care the Mexican, Canadian, the Russian. We are best. even the best. Mr. Saito, let me just ask you one question. What would happen In the finals, should the two of you face the number one seed, the Steiner brothers. Steiner brothers.
2: It's a purely American address.
4: We too soft. We are most strong. We are best in the world.
2: We are number one.
4: The number two seed in my mind, the number one seed, the great Muda and Mr. Saito. And now, check
2: this out.
0: I'm slightly offended. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just a little. Yeah. Not a lot to say about this. It's just a basic, we're the strongest sort of promo. I don't get why Paul is talking about the Mexican team as a possible team the Japanese team would face next, given that they're in the upper bracket on the board and the Japanese team is in the lower bracket. So they definitely at least have one match between meeting if we, you know, pretend that the Steiners aren't obviously headed to the finals. But
3: I, th- I mean, I think the idea was you're just naming every other team that could possibly face them.
0: Yeah, but he literally, he, he definitely says next, and no, there's yeah. no way that's the team that they're facing next.
3: <laughs> well, he sees time and space different than you and I. Yeah, it's all yeah. relative.
1: Yeah. It felt like they took the, the Russian formula... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you yeah, know, no, no, th- no, I get it, yeah. That's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah, and, and, you know, just kind of, okay, let's make it a rivalry. <laughs> and then just went with it.
3: All that was missing was them demanding that they play the Japanese National Anthem. Yeah. And everyone rise for the Japanese Anthem.
0: Yeah. Our fourth match of the tournament is between the team from Canada, Danny Bull Johnson and Troy and. No, it was Troy Montour, right? It is, yeah. Because I've typed it Tory Montour. <laughs> Versus the team from the USSR, Viktor Zangiev and Salman Hasimikov. Bull Johnson has some somewhat disturbing bear-themed pants with a bear face in exactly the position I really wouldn't want there to be a bear face.
3: It's also not a bull.
0: Yeah, that's the good point as well, yeah. <laughs> the Soviets are welcomed in the spirit of Glasnost. Ominously, the Canadian team starcade stats say that they are not favored against USSR. JR accidentally calls Troy Bull's opponent, so I guess he's hoping that we'll get some singles matches at some point, too. Zangiev is a very, very hairy man.
3: He is, yes. It's
0: like male pattern werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Zangiev quickly dominates and gets a bow and arrow hold on Johnson, really wrenching on his back. Montour saves, but Zangiev just flings Johnson to the mat, leading to a nice bit of mat wrestling that neither dominates. Zangiev then gets a mighty belly-to-belly suplex that basically dumps Johnson right on his chin. Did anyone remember to tell Zangiev that this stuff's supposed to be an act? I'm not sure he knows. Johnson finally gets one bit of offense with a flying double chop, and Montour and Hasimikov are tagged in. Montour quickly complains about hair-pulling as I realize that Canada is the evil team here, not the USSR not believable yeah that's a bit of a shift (laughs) Paul notes that these Soviets are different from the usual because they have hair
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's what he says yeah no and it's that that sounds dumb but if you look at think about it that actually does make a lot of sense yeah
0: everyone we've had has been bald yeah Hasimikov and Montour struggle for leverage and Hasimikov suplexes him for for the win and that's it (laughs) On the replay, by the way, thank God Montour ducked his head in at the last moment. That was a scary suplex.
3: Well, he learned from the other one. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, he's going to throw me. I'm I'm just going to tuck my head and go with it. Uh, I really like the Russians here. Kind of like with the Brits, they had a very unique style. The thing is that they are legit uh, Olympic wrestlers. Mm -hmm. That just happened to transition into pro wrestling. So their style is definitely built around their knowledge of that. In a way, they're almost sort of a gruffer version of what we see with like Kurt Angle later. Yeah. Or in a lot of ways, like Taz, you'd see or as well. Or the Steiners, you know. Well, we already have the Japanese Steiners. We can have, yeah, have the Russian Steiners.
0: Jap- yeah, we can have the Russian Steiners. There's only so many Steiners I can handle.
3: <laughs> but yeah, no, I like their throws. Um, the one was definitely a little scary. Simikov's definitely looked safer. Mm-hmm. And as we'll see with him later, his his throws have a real good sort of height and like torque to them. The ending was definitely weird. Uh, even the replay, he throws him over and he starts like renting with his hand. I thought he was like going some, for submission. But I think what's supposed to be happening is he's sort of muscling the guy's arms flat. So his shoulders stay down with the pin. Mm-hmm. But it's still a weird finish. I wasn't sure the first time if the guy was verbally submitting from the pain or was pinned.
0: Well, everyone kind of like pauses for a moment afterwards, and everybody looks a little bit confused. So I'm honestly not a hundred percent sure that was supposed to be the finish. I kind of mm-hmm. have a feeling like either he was supposed he was supposed to kick out, or maybe uh, Johnson was supposed to get in there for a save or something like that, and just something didn't happen right. So the ref counts three, which it does happen sometimes and no, when it happens yeah. they tend to just go with it but yeah, everyone kind of like there's about six seconds or so where they don't actually seem to be in character for a few moments and then and then they just kind of go with it so I don't know.
3: When there's a running theme throughout this, we sort of hinted at earlier that because these are teams that have never met before and sometimes never meet again, there's definitely both a literal language barrier and just an understanding barrier between them mm-hmm. so I feel like that might be a big part of that. Yeah, maybe. You know, Simikov maybe is really sure this is the finish, and the ref's trying to tell him it's not, but then looks at him and thinks thinks wisely <laughs> not I to I don't want to him. take that
0: suplex. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah.
3: I think there were, you know, a 200-something-pound guy that run like that, What's it's good to me. Yeah. Yeah, the awkward finish aside, the Russians really did a lot for me mm-hmm. to show just the really unique amateur-style and on the plus side, this is the only time we get actual Russians on, like, any show, I think, ever. I think so, yeah. So I'm just going to enjoy it <laughs> for what it is.
1: For accuracy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was really surprised by the Russians in this one, too. Uh, I was not expecting them to pull off some of the feats of strength that they did. <laughs> yeah. They both had some awkward moments here and there, but... Uh, when Simikov goes for montour, uh, and there's a hold, and he's behind the, the ropes, and he's just doing this thing with his arms like, 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 like. Oh.
3: <laughs> he's just he's, like... Yeah, he's like, putting his elbows up and down, like he's trying to break <laughs> away from. Yeah, I've I, like I
1: got to with the or something. Like... <laughs> yeah. Bearable, or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the end, after Simikov takes, takes his pulse <laughs> to win. <laughs> <laughs> the the stomping in, in, with his back up against the ref was hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah, this was a short one, but the Soviet team felt incredibly legit mm-hmm. to the extent that, as I said, I'm not entirely sure that they were working with the Canadian team so much as they were actually fighting them. Uh, Some of those moves were downright yeah. painful looking, and they seemed not particularly worried about how the Canadians fell on those suplexes. Nope. The Canadians got next to no offense whatsoever. It's, I believe, literally just the one double chop by Johnson. I think so, yeah. So I guess their Starcade stats were right. To me, it looked like this ended earlier than they were planning, and it, there's a few seconds where people look all confused. But overall, the match was a bit weird, but I kind of liked it.
3: <laughs> I definitely liked the, yeah, like the legit nature of the Russians. It's kind of like the previous match for me as far as the other side of it. Montour and Johnson did anything wrong, but they just didn't do anything that really oppressed me other than the weird, yeah, other than the weird little elbow dance there. And, and I guess they <laughs> ability to get back up after being thrown on your on your head like that. Yeah. yeah, it's a
0: certain amount of resilience. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, so I tried to get research for, like I did for everybody. There is no Wikipedia page for Troy Montour or Danny Bull Johnson. Huh. I tried other sources through Google, um, There's a site which is called ringside fighting or Fighting, whatever it is, where it has very detailed stats for wrestlers. It lists like house shows and lists all these things. So I looked up Tori Montour. They have one match listed, and it's this one.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh. Yeah. Poor guy.
0: We go back to the locker room where Tony is interviewing Sting.
4: Of the world, the Stinger. Okay, Jim and
0: Paulie, thank you very much.
4: Moments away now from the main event. In the cage, a final confrontation, Sting and the Black Scorpion. And Champ, how are you feeling about all this right now? Well, Tony, all I have to say is who would ever believe that something like this would have happened? If you look at the whole Black Scorpion scenario from beginning to end. Who would ever thought that something like this would happen in the sport of professional wrestling? But one thing I know, here in World Championship Wrestling, anything and everything can go. So I'm not going to run away from it. I know that. Only one thing I do know. My head is very, very clear, and I know exactly what I need to do. A lot of people said, Sting, you haven't been Sting lately. But I got news for you. Sting left maybe for a little while, but Sting's back now. Sting's going to find out who the black scorpion is once and for all. And those of you who know me, you can look into my eye, and you can tell by the tone of my voice that I mean what I say. I will find out who the scorpion is tonight, Tony. All right, that's it from the world champion. Back to Jim and Paul
0: (laughs) 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 very weird sting promo he's like really really quiet here and that's not normal for him Right. it actually comes off kind of cool and if this were connected to a better angle than the black scorpion it'd be a pretty good way of building some tension Sting's calmer and more controlled than normal I probably wouldn't have done the little bit at the end where he suddenly changes moods, flexes, and gives an angry face as they cut, but I guess he felt the need to get a little bit of emotion in there.
3: He's back. I liked his actual closing line. I see it does seem very sincere and intense.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always interesting to see someone try a different promo style overall, though. I I don't want Stink to do this regularly, but as a one-off, it was neat.
2: Yeah,
1: I see that. Very contemplative, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. I've been meditating for a while, and <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, I'm fairly certain that I'll achieve victory this evening. Yeah. <laughs>
3: well, it's important you take him very seriously while he stands in the back in bright neon green with neon green and, like, yellow on his face. And, yeah.
0: the, and the glittery jacket to end all glittery jackets in the background. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like, too, that when he's, like, saying... His head is clear and he knows what he needs to do or might be on the sting's back. He's, he's like looking look right at the camera and gives like crazy eyes while yeah. he's still talking really calm. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. We take a break from the tournament for a bit with a match between Terry Taylor and Michael Wallstreet with Alexandra York and Alexandra York's computer.
3: Terry Taylor has been kind of an interesting guy in the last few years. If you recall, he randomly showed up on, I believe it was K 87, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. With part of, part of the UWF angle. He leaves after that. He actually went from world-class to WWF, where he had his more infamous run, where they put uh, red right oh, on yeah. his right on top of his head and called him a rooster. Yes. <laughs> so he's happy just to be back here and be Terry Taylor, normal, albeit you know, angry guy maybe. Wall Street is obviously a new gimmick for Mike Rotunda. As we noted earlier, he does a promo at the previous class of the show explaining that he came in a lot of money and now is a serious business guy who legally changed his name to Michael Wall Street. Which I feel like that should come up later when he shows up again. Like, it should be his default name. Or, and actually, I hope it is. <laughs> if they forget that probably really sad. Yeah. It's pretty easy to figure out what this gimmick is. It's Ted DiBiase's dollar multi- oh, yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Just to be clear, because there's anyone that doesn't get that. So basically because that's doing well, they made their own version. Um, though, Yeah, there's really not much door between them. It's just they're trying to establish Wall Street and his new gimmick and heel character. And Terry Taylor is sort of the reliable wrestler guy people know but aren't super invested in. Mm-hmm. He's a known commodity, but not like a, a major commodity, I would say, to use stock market terms.
1: He looks like an alternative Lex Luger. Like, <laughs> like, like, like body type. You know, like he's like... Yeah. Lex before he he hasn't worked out for a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We get a replay from WCW on TBS showing an interview with Terry Taylor that was interrupted by York and Wall Street. Taylor tells York every system has a kink in it and maybe it's her. She slaps him and Wall Street challenges him to a fight, but York says they're not being paid for it and lectures Taylor to conduct himself more professionally.
3: So just to be clear, they were appearing on the TBS show and they weren't being paid?
0: Uh, they, I think she means that they aren't being paid to fight Taylor there.
3: I don't know if you're paid more to wrestle than to, to stand there and talk. I
0: mean, I'd assume you'd have you know some some additional like danger pay.
3: <laughs> I feel like you should have that ha- a base salary. Pay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> danger pay. <laughs> well, I mean, well, at least if you go up against the Russian team for yeah, last exactly, match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm, that's true. We go to the entrances, and Taylor has a nice robe. I think it's the same one from the last time we saw him, or at least close to it.
1: Pretty much, yeah. He
0: also has a wonderful mullet.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Michael Wall Street has perfect corporate video entrance music, and he, too, has a mullet. I prefer Taylor's. It's more vibrant. Taylor's Starcade stats at least mention his world ranking and his finisher, but he has a deer-in-headlights photo. <laughs> Wall Street's Starrcade stats talk more about him and York using computers than anything else. Taylor attacks before Wall Street even has his suit off blessedly wall street wears a wrestling singlet underneath so we don't get a repeat of jimmy valiant versus paul jones version 1.0 i don't know if my heart can take that
3: i kind of like to imagine that he if he's a serious business guy in wall street when he's not wrestling he's always like that
0: yeah well, probably yeah that makes sense
3: just a case you never know
0: <laughs> never know when you need to resolve a board meeting through violence yeah we get a clock counting down from 8:32, since wall street promised to win within that time Taylor hits rapid punches, a crossbody, and a drop kick to start. As Wall Street has to roll out to check strategy with York and her dot matrix printout, he gets back in, and the crowd hurls abuse at him. A bit more, and a Taylor clothesline sends Wall Street out for more discussion. Back in, Wall Street works an armbar and uses the hair to keep Taylor down as York types in her little computer. Wall Street seems to have found his answer to Taylor now, as he counters a charge with a nice catch into a backbreaker, then hits a suplex and a nice diving clothesline and a great jumping leg drop for two. Wall Street uses the ropes on an abdominal stretch, and Paul says it's not illegal till the ref catches you, which the ref does.
3: Can you imagine someone involved in Wall Street doing anything illegal or questionable in the world like that? No, 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 absolutely not. He's giving them a bad name. They're
0: almost right up there with Ric Flair and Nick Patrick. Yeah, right.
3: (laughs) just below them, yeah.
0: Taylor evades a dropkick and fires up, landing quick moves once more, including an atomic drop into a belly-to-back suplex. He hits the five-arm, a very nice flying forearm, but gets two as Wall Street gets his foot on the ropes. Wall Street drops Taylor neck first on the top rope and hits his stock market crash for the win. Wait, that's the name of it? That's yeah. the name of his move. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess you you can figure that is probably the worst thing he can possibly imagine. I mean, I guess it's better
3: than calling it the dividend. <laughs> 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 it's shame Daniel Johnson didn't stick around because having a bull as your bodyguard would have made perfect sense for a Wall Street. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. This opportunity.
0: Would have been a good tag team name, too, the bull market.
3: There you go. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that. Um, so for me, it was a solid match. My problem, I think, is that neither one of them has really great character work. Because in Taylor's case, there's not everything bad about him. Like, I feel like as a heel, he sort of got by in the 87 show. Because mm-hmm. he did a lot of extra stuff I liked. Um, as a heel, like with Luger in the previous show. So I gave him a bit of a pass on the character work. But as a face, he's, I mean, he's kind of white bread, sort of generic. And it's not bad, it's just nothing. You have to be more impressive. When Sting's your world champion and you have all these big characters, even the Steiners wear bright neon and just extra stuff to accentuate themselves with the bark and everything. Wall Street case, he has character stuff down. He had it really well. Magic and Rick Steiner, I thought. Mm -hmm. But his problem is that this is a brand new character. So he really doesn't have that much experience doing it. So it's a lot of new stuff for him to learn. So I feel like if we saw the the third or fourth version of this match, which I'm guessing happened at some point on TV or later pay-per-view, we might get a more
0: solid character aspect of it. Taylor seems to be good at responding to someone else's character, but maybe he doesn't have a a ton of it himself as a face. I could see that, I, I would yeah. agree with you on yeah, that. he doesn't
1: yeah. have a strong persona.
3: I liked that his, um, first off, his move is the five-arm. Yes. Because it's one above the forearm. Oh, well, yeah. Just in case the pun wasn't clear enough. Um, but I also liked that, I feel like I didn't notice that before, but definitely in this one, it's kind of a cross between the flying forearm where you just sort of jump with their arm out like with the cross chop with the canadians kind of that and superman punch you see a lot now yeah where you jump and then cock your fist back and punch because there's sort of like a half half cock nature to it yeah we pulls it back a bit as he's as he's flying instead of just sort of flying with his arm out and hitting him like so yeah, there's cannons. a lot of
0: there's a lot of really good motion involved in the move that you get a, a good sensation of the hit
3: which I assume is that must be the idea behind it being the flying five arm. Yeah. The forearm is, is good, but mine is the one extra touch. It's that,
0: it's that little extra touch. Yeah.
3: Yeah. While I fully understand why you don't do it, it was pretty clear Taylor did not actually touch the top rope with his neck or each chest area at all. Point. Yeah. He put his arms down and then grabbed his throat when nothing hit it. To be fair, I don't blame him. That's steel cable wrapped in like tape. So I wouldn't do it to myself, but just, you got to cover that better. Yeah. It's one of those matches where it's solid but unremarkable and definitely could be better with future matches between the two of them.
1: I like the setup of a time match with not really not having a time limit. You know, mm-hmm. I li- I like that they've created that sense of urgency and uh the assistant or is she his manager or
0: You mean York uh York for Wall Street, yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: She's apparently works for him but it's called the York Foundation so I don't know.
0: My my theory is that he hired the York Foundation. Mhm. You know, she's the the head of that, so she technically works for him but she is also the head of it. But yeah, it's a little bit awkward how it. I need to know the hierarchy
3: it. in these things. This, yeah. this is sort of my thing. You want
0: it? You want the you want the org chart?
3: I do, yes.
1: <laughs> well, you know the the premise actually kind of funnily um, you know, when Al mentioned about the Superman thing. This actually kind of reminds me of the Superman uh, thing where he goes up against a, a supercomputer uh, to beat oh, him. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, the I'm best like, I'm picturing... movie in the series. The, oh, it, but, God. You know, I mean, you got the yellow-haired protagonist. Uh... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's for for some reason it just seemed to have some sort of parallel for me and i was laughing the whole time because i was like okay well, they are calculating everything and i liked the little bit where he's coming out like, then you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this yeah <laughs> and we check 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 you've done this <laughs> you gotta, gotta do different moves <laughs> um so that was, was going the narrative i had in my head um I did like the finisher, the uh, stock market crash. It does look very solid and chunky mm-hmm. and painful, even if it looks like he's probably breaking his own neck. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> but he yeah. does it. As a character, I, I, I like Wall Street much better than Taylor. You know, he, he seems like he has a gimmick, and maybe the backstory wasn't as big for you guys, but for me, I thought it was just different than the other matches. And mm-hmm.
3: I appreciate that, yeah.
1: I think he really embraced his character as much as you can but for being rich uh, or whatever. No, it, w- it was good.
0: Yeah, I thought it was well-performed. I just thought it was a little too short to be much of anything. Wall Street did some very good sneaky heel work, and Taylor had a good fast-paced offense, but they just didn't actually get time, I felt, to build much of a match story. It came off as them kind of just trading off doing collections of spots, and it didn't have a lot of emotion to it. Uh, Like you, Al, I really like the five arm. I think it's a good and very convincing finisher. I like that the announcers actually build up that it's too strong. It knocks Wall Street back so far that he can reach the ropes and is Taylor's undoing. It's a fun idea for that being kind of a reason that things turn against the face. I
3: can see that, yeah.
0: And yeah, I I thought the stock market crash was a pretty good finisher.
3: I do think it's kind of funny that we had the whole thing in the last show. We had to address how the Samoans were treated and character work in general. And on this show, we have no Samoans. Yeah. But we have Michael Wall Street using the Samoan drop as his finisher.
0: <laughs> Point. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I'd
1: expect it to go for a minute and 36 seconds longer.
3: <laughs> so this view goes on after Starcade, but it kind of, it's the it's a wall because one of them leaves the company. That man being Michael Wall Street. Oh, really? Yeah. He leaves in 1991, uh fairly early, I want to say around March or so to go to the WBF and be IRS.
0: I didn't realize Michael Wall Street was that short of a gimmick. I thought it was uh, was a bit longer. Yeah.
3: So what happens is they go, "What? we just started this York Foundation thing. We have Alexander York here. And now he's gone. What are we going to do? So I'm thinking about the most logical thing, which is to turn Terry Taylor a heel <laughs> and take his place. So he becomes Terrence Taylor and becomes a heel to cover for the spot the guy that just beat him.
0: And I think he does, if I recall correctly, he has a pretty great and or terrible nickname mm-hmm. of, the, of the tailor-made man. Uh.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's the right response to that. Yes. yes.
0: I guess since his name is Taylor, does that mean he's... that? Is that a just really weird way of saying you're, you're a self-made man?
3: I guess that's the idea, maybe? Yeah. I don't
0: know. If the
1: suit fits.
0: <laughs> we get a brief interruption for an ad for Wrestle War.
4: I want you at WrestleWar 91. World Championship Wrestling presents an ironclad event of man versus metal. WrestleWar 91 featuring war games. We've declared war. Witness a grueling double steel cage confrontation where anything can happen. Don't miss the duel in the desert live from Phoenix, Arizona. You can be there front and center only on pay-per-view. Dismissed.
3: We parted Sergeant Slaughter and now be
1: played by Sting. Yes. <laughs> I when that came on, I was like, Why aren't we watching this? <laughs> because this is awesome.
0: Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so nineties. Oh it's I know, so, I love so it. So just beautifully cheesy. It there wasn't selling a, a toy though. That's what I was, no, I was kind yeah. of upset about. Or I it, it looks like a toy commercial, yes. <laughs> They show the construction of the War Games cage interspersed with Michael Hayes and Uncle Sam garb, Sid Vicious dressed as Sid Vicious, and Sting in military garb with a bullet bandolier yelling, Dismissed. (laughs) I am so glad that WCW has learned to advertise its shows in shorter and much more hilarious fashion than back on 86 with the cowboy droning on by the campfire for five full minutes.
3: But now you know what a bunkhouse is. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of don't still.
3: I don't either, honestly.
1: It reminds me of like a Van Damme commercial. Like, yes. Like like a Black Black, you know. Double, in, double Impact. <laughs> <laughs> like G.I. Joe mixed with, with that. <laughs> yes.
3: So I, yeah, I have two notes on this. One, so I know, obviously know what the War Games is. I haven't seen like, all of them at this point. But when I'm just hearing them say Double Steel Cage, my immediate thought is because it's WCW, they put a Steel Cage around the ring. And then a second steel cage over the first steel cage. <laughs> no escaping the cage this time. There's a second yeah. cage. Cageception. <laughs> My other note is that because Sting is clearly starting to slaughter, who is getting ready to betray America, by the way. Yes. Oh. We're doing a WWF podcast. We're talking about that. So if he's doing a slaughter, he should just go full slaughter and threaten to put you an itty-bitty ditty bag. <laughs> yes. The greatest slaughter line ever.
0: Uh Yeah, 30 seconds of pure gold here. <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. It didn't have
1: monster trucks.
0: <laughs> oh, don't worry. WCW uses those later.
1: Oh, yeah, you'll get your fill.
0: Yes, and far more than it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Our next match is the Big Cat and the Motor City Madman versus the Skyscrapers. Sid Vicious, and Dangerous Danny Spivey. This is not part of the tag team tournament. We get extra bonus tag matches tonight because WCW wants to actively antagonize me. I don't know what I've done to make them hate me so much.
3: You know what you did. Deep down, aside. Obviously, the skyscrapers missed last year's show on account of Sid Vicious' injury. So it's nice that they finally get... To come back um, after some complicated stuff where there's three different people in the team trying to fill all the matches that they didn't get to do. <laughs> it's nice to see them brought back together, albeit really suddenly, especially with Sid Vicious still in the, part of the Four Horsemen. Yeah. It's just like, well, I want to find these guys while well, you guys do your whatever thing with Doom. And oh, I guess I'll I'll reform my attack monitor for one show just for fun. Originally, the Big Cat and the Night Stalker had been attacking Sid. But then they realized that Nice Dog was terrible, (laughs) which we can confirm from watching that clash.
0: Oh my gosh, it was so bad.
3: They do mention that Nice Dog was taken care of on the main event or Saturday night or whatever. So they wrote him out pretty last minute. Wow. To be replaced with the Motor City Man Man Who Do Fair is also really bad.
0: (laughs) Sid Vicious is from Anywhere He Darn Well Pleases, which is one of the best wrestling intros ever. (laughs) It is, yes. JR throws to the starcade stats for Big Cat and the Madman, but the match starts while the stats are showing. I did have time to note that the Big Cat and the Madman are called the biggest ham on tonight's event and a power match with little finesse. Okay, now these are just getting insulting. I
3: mean, that's accurate, to be fair.
0: (laughs) Everyone brawls. Vicious and Spivey botch a double back body drop on Cat, so they repeat the Mm spot. Vicious and Spivey trounce Madman and hit a double powerbomb. Vicious seems to have a little trouble lifting him, but Spivey helps. That gets them the win. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah. Thoughts on this one? Brock Sampson. <laughs> yeah.
1: Swedish murder machine.
3: <laughs> yes. I wish he had the charisma of Brock Sampson.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, like they, they they could have clearly like made the character after him.
3: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be that surprised, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, one of my notes I have a pretty ugly brawl that is thankfully short. <laughs> that endings power bomb is as scary as Kat's attempt to stop the pin was slow. Yeah. I yeah, there's like it's that whole part near the end of the match with the Mexicans and the Brits, except that was the entire match, and also was worked terribly and they messed things up. Yeah. So I'm trying to be favorable comparisons, but that's the best I got. Ouch. I mean, I will say it's nice to see the skyscrapers. I wish they was in something else.
1: <laughs> I would have liked to see more from uh, the other team, but you know, when they missed that spot where they were both going to pick them up and flip them over or whatever, yeah, I thought it was like, okay, well, you know, they're going to reset a little bit, but it's going to be a lot longer match.
0: <laughs> nope, <laughs> no, mercifully, no.
1: I mean, it gives me like the the thought that they had more things planned.
0: You would hope so, but I don't think so on this one. Yeah, this was too short to be anything, though I'm kind of happy, as I've seen Big Cat, Madman, and Vicious each wrestle before, and they were all, um, bad. Yes. Again, 13 matches. Yeah. You can see that here. I mean, they clearly botch one spot and nearly botch a second in the course of, what, like a minute? A minute
3: six, I believe, Wikipedia says, yeah.
0: Cat and Madman get absolutely no offense. Fishes and Spivey do look dominant, but I question putting a clear squash match on Starcade. At least with the earlier short matches, I felt like there might be excuses for them, aside from them being part of a tournament. This just felt like it didn't need to be on the show at all.
2: Yeah.
3: I can't disagree with that, really.
0: The match is totally worth it, though, because what follows is a truly awesome interview, as Paul tries to talk to the skyscrapers
4: definitely are dominant here on WCW. Paul Lee standing by at Rick's Well, house. here you go, one night and one night only. The retirement and reunion team of the Skyscrapers and, uh, ah! hi. Um, I'm here with the Skyscrapers. Oh, go- hey, hey, hey. hey. Now that we're eye to eye, little man, yes. let me tell you something. Yes. Everybody says this is a one-time I- only deal with the Skyscraper. Yes. We decide what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. Nobody Nobody. tells the Skyscrapers what they're going to do. And if we do decide to get together in 1991, there's a lot of people that better better watch out. Remember something people, the Skyscrapers rule the world. Thank you very much. And now, thank God, Shut up, man. okay, I'm gonna, we'll be back. We're going to go up to the ring right now. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Bless you, Paul. Uh, that might have been the best thing on this show. Paul gives a hilarious performance here. He goes from brash to please don't kill me, big scary men in about half a second as they lift him in the air and grab the microphone to do the interview themselves. Suspended in the air by the skyscrapers, he spends the whole time quaking in fear and just echoing Spivey and looks utterly shaken by the whole thing even after they let him down. The tough guy facade just falls apart. The actual promo is fine, and by being vicious, just come off as dangerous and frightening. But Paul is absolutely the star of this segment. Love this.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things, honestly, the more I think about it, if he didn't have really bad stuff, like questionable lines about races and that Ilkono line, I'd almost get MVP of the show just based on this yeah. interview, but it's just that's not enough. It's because... great, though.
0: Yeah, his performance is a little uneven over the show, but he does a good enough job building himself up as a heel. He's mean enough to JR. You want to see something happen to him. sure. So you get this moment, and it's like, oh, yes, glory. And he really, really sells it. I'd, I'd give him a lot of credit for this bit. It was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, you know, honestly, like, just listening to it without seeing the character, you know, seeing the people there, it, it was like, is he doing a little John
0: track? <laughs> Yeah, he, he just kind of like echoes them. A lot of people are going to be scared. A lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very funny.
3: So this is the, thankfully, the only face-off between the Big Cat and Moistad Madman and the Skyscrapers. So eye relief for everyone involved. Big Cat is uh, Curtis Hughes, who has one of the most inexplicable careers in wrestling. He never quite does anything impressive, but he stays around and works in every major company. In major secondary roles for his entire career. Even to this day, he gets uh, occasional work for any Feds based solely on his work in the 90s. Wow. This segues from him being a regular performer to being Bodyguard to the Stars, which would begin in 1991 when he teams up with Lex Luger as his bodyguard. Uh, as for Sid, he rejoins the Horseman next month's Wrestle War. Has a different scary powerbomb spot in that one. Oh, God, right. We'll cover that eventually. Unfortunately, he faces issues with management like a lot of people were facing before this show and many people face after this show. And he leaves in mid-1991 to join the WBF. Dan Spivey has kind of the same issues. The problem is he never reaches the same heights before he leaves that Savicious does. Savicious, you know, gets a challenge for the world title, a challenge for the U.S. title. Dan Spivey is also a big, scary guy that exists. <laughs> no offense to him, but... Aww. As far as, as far as the way he's booked, that's all that you really do with them. Yeah, he makes a scary guy you, that challenges you in the
0: UBM. Oh. Our next match is Ricky Morton and Wildfire Tommy Rich with Robert Gibson on crutches versus the Fabulous Freebirds, Michael P.S. Hayes and Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin with Number One Roadie and best friend Little Richard Marley. What's with all the tag matches? <laughs> You're already holding a tournament. Let me have some other types of matches.
3: Well, and there's no tag tiles involved because the world tag tiles are later. Yeah. And the US tag tiles are locked up in the show. Yeah. It's kind of a shame we didn't have different US tag teams. You can at least this be for title.
0: Yeah. The Starcade stats literally just explained the storyline this time, saying nothing about the actual Rich Morton team. The Freebirds at least get some bio info in that they're former tag champs, but we're also informed that Marley will be at ringside, which we already knew because we watched him come out. So what's the point of these screens again?
3: Yeah. Basically, all you need to know is that in storyline, the Freebirds injured Gibson to cover up an actual injury he had to deal with. He's gone for a while. This is his first time actually appearing back at their side, although obviously he's not 100% yet.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I think that these cards would be really good as like a collector's item if they actually gave out like a deck of cards with these for for kids. Or, or I
0: feel souvenirs. like they must have. Yeah, that would make sense. Like have it have like a good a better picture of the wrestler on the front of it, and then uh and then on the back you've got their Starcade stats. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could see neat. that. That'd be that'd be interesting.
1: Then you could go to all the Starcades and then you can have collect all the cards.
0: I'd I'd hope that they'd come up with more interesting facts on at least some of the shows, but yeah.
3: (laughs) You want to know who the biggest ham is, so... Yeah. It's important.
0: (laughs) The Freebirds are dressed in sparkly suspenders and robes with Confederate flag face paint. Awkward. And cape. (laughs) Yeah. I suspect that this relates to them beating the team of the Southern Boys on a recent clash that Al and I were watching. Yes. But it's not a particularly good look, Paul explains that the Freebirds are the greatest rock and roll band of all time, apparently because they've broken more people's legs than Bruce Springsteen.
3: <laughs> is that how it works? <laughs> I guess so. It doesn't matter how many number one singles you have is how many legs you break?
0: I mean, I guess you could convince people pretty well. Vote for me or I'll break your legs.
1: I mean, in a way you can rhyme Freebird with femur. I, 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 <laughs> it
0: just doesn't make sense. JR mentions that the Keel Auditorium is planned to be torn down in 1991, They should get in touch with Crusher Khrushchev. I heard he's been doing work in Demolition.
3: Hey. (laughs) (laughs) That's the right response.
0: Yes. Garvin opens with fisticuff poses, and Morton mocks his yeah, yeah, yeah taunt. Morton starts off hot, and he and Rich dropkick the Freebirds through the ropes. Marley tries to get involved and gets dropkicked as well. Paul decries such horrible treatment of an innocent roadie. Morton and Hayes in. Morton hits an inverted atomic drop, and J.R. notes that the baritone will be singing tenor now. As a tenor, I'm not sure how I should feel about that line.
3: Is that why you sing tenor?
0: Uh, no. Okay, no, just no, want to clarify. Yeah. Incremental. <laughs> they go outside, and Hayes blocks a ram into the ring post and gloats about it, but Robert Gibson comes over and slugs him to an absolutely huge crowd pop. Hayes eats post, and everyone goes back in, as Paul insincerely worries for the injured Gibson's safety. JR says even the Freebirds wouldn't go after an injured man, but Paul says that they have no class. Kind of a weird way to defend someone. Hayes fights back, but Morton evades a knee drop and calls to Gibson that this is for him, as Morton and Rich get stereo figure fours on both Freebirds. The ref forces a break, and Garvin is formally tagged in and calls for Rich. Morton obliges. Rich gets the advantage, so Marley climbs up on the ropes, and Rich pulls him in the ring and spanks him. Weird choice. Hayes runs in, and Rich and Morton pinball him around the ring with punches until he finds his corner for a comforting hug with Garvin. Things continue to go poorly for the Freebirds, until Rich gets in to counter a Freebirds double team, and the ref ushers him out, allowing Hayes to break up a Morton pin attempt with a bulldog. Garvin and Rich brawl, and Hayes holds Morton's leg for Marley to climb up top, as JR notes that they're planning to break Morton's leg like they did Gibson's. Gibson knocks Marley off the turnbuckle with his crutch, and Marley falls onto Garvin, who immediately assumes betrayal and chokes Marley. Morton rolls Garvin up for the win. Morton and Rich casually leave the ring and escort Gibson towards the back as the Freebirds beat up Marley and hit a double DDT, but eventually their conscience gets the better of them and they come back to rescue him. The Freebirds corner Gibson on the ramp and double-clothesline him down, and Morton and Rich run them off before more can be done.
3: Well, it's- if we're judging purely by the last match, this is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> if, if everything is relative. <laughs> that's true, yeah. If we're judging by the rest of the show, it's decent. My problem, I think, is I'm kind of spoiled by Rock and Roll Express matches. And I fully understand why there's not one here. But they do everything they can to make it basically the uh, the store brand soda of Rock and Roll Express matches. They <laughs> want you to think of Time Rich as their replacement for Gibson in this scenario where they just done like a singles match for one thing have been different, but also it wouldn't make me think of them so much. You could have done a Tommy Rich singles match or Mickey Morton singles match. I didn't fully connect to the story all that much. There's nice little things in there. I like the Freebirds are unabashedly super evil cowardly heels. Mm -hmm. There's no like shades of gray about it. They're panicky when they're in trouble. And then they're super cocky when they're doing well. As always I like Garvin better than Hayes. Hayes never as bad as just I never got much out of him, honestly. Yeah. He really had the most longevity of anyone in the group, so so as I know, I guess. <laughs> I feel like if it wasn't marketed as like a Rock and Roll Express match, I would like it a lot better.
0: Yeah. Kinda sets an expectation. Exactly. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> It was a surreal
1: depiction of, uh, it was like, it reminded me of Alice in Wonderland. It would have made more sense if the Tashar cat appeared in the middle of the ring and started becoming, it was the ref. I had no idea what was going on the whole time. I thought they were just tagging random people and they would become their partner. And it was just like... It was bizarre, okay. Like, <laughs> why were they spanking? Why were they? Why were they talking and playing like I don't know footsie and thumb war? It was really weird. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Wait, so you didn't like the uh, fabulous Freebridge friendship is magic spot?
1: No, no. How <laughs> I I still don't know who won. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I know who won, but like it <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> I don't know if it was the sequins or what, but I just kind of, like, glazed over halfway through this, and I'm like, I I There's
3: definitely a sort of hypnotic effect of those those shaking, bright sequins. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm having existential problems watching this match. Like, why are we here?
0: (laughs) Why is this happening?
1: Wow. A match should not make you feel ennui.
3: I'm sorry to hear that.
0: Yeah. I've been there, but with different types of matches from this. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to understand. I tried the whole time, <laughs> and I should have gave up. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Yeah, I found this, this was a more of a comedy match than an intense match. It had some good energy and a hot crowd, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Al, Morton and Rich are no Morton and Gibson.
3: Yes, thousand percent.
0: Morton is still great, but he just doesn't have the same chemistry with Rich as with his longtime partner, which is understandable. Right. The Freebirds just came off as a comedy act rather than threatening heels, but I did enjoy watching them get their comeuppance. Not much of a match story here otherwise and way too many comedy spots, but it worked for what it was, I guess. The post-match bit was awkward and probably would have worked better if Morton and Rich had immediately gone to help Marley rather than walking away first. It just didn't make them seem the most heroic at first. I was actually pretty surprised when the Freebirds managed to nail Gibson at the end. I was honestly expecting one more reversal there.
3: Yeah, he was like clearly erasing the crutch, like he was gonna like yeah. hit their arms and break the move or something, but it didn't. He doesn't.
0: Also, how many Riches do we need in one match? We have Tommy Rich, Richard Morton, Little Richard Marley. True. Heck, even Ref Nick Patrick is close.
3: Yeah. <laughs> also, getting into their roadie slash manager, I should also note since it doesn't come up in this show, the original name they gave him before Little Richard Marley, Fantasia. Okay. Yeah, he was a Fantasia, and then Disney heard and said, "No, stop that."
0: <laughs> oh, that's great.
3: This feud goes sort of goes on for a little while. Rich and Morton find a third person, Jyd, to be their six-man tag champion for a while. This is all while Gibson's recovering. Gibson eventually does recover, whereupon Ricky Morton turns heel on him. Aww. And becomes Richard Morton to join the York Foundation.
1: Smart move.
3: And ironically enough, you'll never guess who also joined the York Foundation with him. Tommy Rich. Well, he is Rich.
1: Richie Rich?
3: Yeah. So both faces in this match turn heel and join the exact same faction. With the previous face that turns heel... From the singles match to join the same faction. Wow, that's a weird theme on this show. Yeah. As for the Freebirds, they stay around for quite a while, still never quite doing anything really major. They sort of peaked by winning World Tag Titles and U.S. Tag Titles respectively at different points in the year. However, they do get a really good manager for next year, Diamond Dallas Page. Oh yes. <laughs> Things looking up eventually.
1: Yeah. DDP always reminds me of like Diet Dr Pepper and it, uh, <laughs> I, I picture both at the same time so it's always a bit confusing when I go in the supermarket.
0: We go back to Tony and he builds up the upcoming Texas Lariat match. It's basically a strap match for the US title. Hansen comes out wearing a vest uncannily like the one that Stone Cold Steve Austin will wear later.
4: All right, Jim and Paul. World Championship Brothers said, yes you have to but now we understand it's a Texas Lariat match You know they tried to push me into all these different times of matches but you know I thought them all but this is going to be really different Never before has a title match like this ever been done in a Texas Lariat match This rope right here though it looks a little skinny can hold some 600 pound steer I know it can hold Lex Luger We're going to tape each other up we're going to get it right down, we're going to put it around our waist, and you got to drag the guy around four times, and touch all four of those posts to be a winner. Lex Luger, I'm not really excited about this, because they made me take the bell off, because it was too violent, but I'm coming for the four count. One, two, three, four, yeah! All right, Jim and Paulie, I tell you what, the champion is ready. I Sure he is. Now back to you. We're to get Tony a raincoat. Any more interviews with Hansen. Fans coming up, our next two matches will be...
0: Oh, uh, this was really gross. <laughs> uh, Hansen is chewing tobacco, which is gross, and he shouts while chewing tobacco, which is gross as well. Yes. Tony spends most of the interview trying to dodge around Hansen to make sure he isn't in the way of any, you know, spray of goop. And just tries to keep the microphone pointed the right way. The actual interview, I think, was fine, but I was distracted the whole time just trying not to look at him, which largely meant that I was paying more attention to Tony looking about how I felt. My sympathies, Tony.
3: Yeah, if I didn't have to watch him with that crap coming out of his mouth, I could at least enjoy the fact that he sounds like Yosemite Sam.
0: <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, it's very, very distracting.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: I don't. I honestly don't know why they did that. I mean, I guess, you know, he's the crazy Texan or whatever. But, yeah. But, like, you know, he's got, like, the cheap dollar store Halloween
0: pirate vest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every time he shows up on one of these shows, he will be doing that. Yep. And I can't watch it. I just, like, actually can't watch him when he does that. Mm. That's, oh, so bad.
3: Like, if he sort of talked about how he chewed tobacco and he said, I mean, like, maybe he took it out or something, that he could be a heel, like, he's complaining, you know, complaining about it or something. And, you like, you know he's a guy that does that. But because he does it live in the interviews, it's really it's too far. Yeah. The point where it goes beyond being a bad guy and just being someone I don't look at.
0: Tony's face, though, is absolute gold in this interview. If you if you watch this, just ignore and Pay total attention to Tony. His antics are very funny.
1: Yeah. Good dodging.
0: <laughs> yes. But yeah, and I, I do love JR's closing line about, uh, we'll get Tony a raincoat if he does any more h- interviews with Hanson. That was pretty good. <laughs> Clearly sympathetic. Yeah. We go back to the tag team tournament for the fifth match. The United States team of the Steiners versus the team from Mexico, Rey Mysterio and Conan. Boy, I sure am glad we switched things up with some tag matches before we got back to the tag tournament. I feel refreshed.
3: Mmm, I got Hogarth Lemonade.
0: <laughs> Mysterio's name is still written as Mysterique. The Steiners are now using their rock theme rather than the national anthem. I guess they're done being patriotic today. Rick and Conan start off with rapid holds and counters, neither one able to get a solid advantage. Tag to Scott, and he gets a knee strike and a power slam before lifting Conan so Rick can jump off the top rope for a bulldog, but the Steiners don't try a pin. Conan recovers and commando rolls to tag Mysterio. Scott takes him down for two, but Mysterio fights back and gets a front face lock until Scott lifts him into a follow away slam. tag to Rick, and he slugs Mysterio a few times, but Mysterio counters with shoulder blocks and tries his own Frankensteiner, only for Rick to catch him and powerbomb him down for the win.
3: Uh, it was definitely a fun and impactful match, I would say. I liked the, how it evolved throughout. It's actually surprised seeing Rick and Conan do the technical wrestling they do, because I know mm-hmm. obviously Rick can do it, but I don't get a lot of that from Conan... At least from what I've seen him later, it's not like a real regular part of his arsenal. So it's some nice surprise to see that.
0: Yeah, it goes a little more like full Lucha crossed with power wrestling right. later on. So yeah, that was I was I was genuinely surprised too by that, yeah.
3: It is weird that this is the first time they've done the Double Team Bulldog. And it does look really good. It's just they oh, don't... Yeah. It's weird they don't try to pin off of it. They're just like, oh, we did a Bulldog. Well, okay, let's just wait a minute. Let him recover, then go grab him. Yeah. Oh no, it got away. I mean, it's clear they were trying it out, but it's it's interesting that the way they handled it was kind of awkward. I was like, maybe Conan was supposed to roll away and didn't, so they pick him up and he got away. I don't know. I don't know. I definitely like Scott doing the power moves in there, getting him up from the ground with the uh, double leg was really impressive. Mm-hmm. I liked the finish, even though it was kind of sudden. It was just funny seeing that compared to the previous stars match, because the clerk slash Rocko Rock tries to do the dive outside and. And what I assume was some for a bomb like, catch. I assume he's going to, like, catch him and then, like, throw him back in the ring or something. But he obviously does not, and Rocket Rock just kind of hits his head. Yeah. So this time, if you watch Rick when he's doing it, his arms are very low and he's ready to catch the guy. Yes. He's learned from his mistake and or been told not to drop people
2: like that. Yes.
3: Either way, it's a creative finish. It's nice seeing the counter of it. Even if Polly Dangerously calls the wrong move. In the replay saying that he's gonna stop him doing the Steiner
0: line. Yes, I forgot about that, yeah.
3: Like with the bunch of these tag matches, if there were less of them and they were longer, I would have gotten a lot more of these, but it's still it's fun for what it is.
1: This reminded me a lot more of collegiate or high school wrestling. Um there's a lot of good floor work and there wasn't a move that didn't have a bunch of power behind it, when I enjoyed that. There was yeah. re- everything was snappy.
0: Well, I remember that one time that you were telling me about when you uh, you won that tournament in high school with a power bomb. That was.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was waiting for you to like say some move, and I'm like, <laughs> 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 you know, there's a little more flash to it. But even the pick up and and throw them by their head. You know whatever that move is, just it's hard to fake. there's still a lot of strength that they're,
0: oh yeah, absolutely they're
1: yeah. utilizing and um it's nice to see a move that was shown as really powerful earlier being countered. It was a good finish, and you can and you can look at at Steiner's face at the very end, he's just like he's got this real tobacco eating grin on his face <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> without the mess, there isn't a point where he's not smiling like. Uh, in, in, until after they've announced it and everything and, and you know like he you know he, he missed to hit it just perfectly so
0: yeah I think he's proud of that spot that's it, and, it, and he should be it comes off perfectly like no, it was there. like
1: honestly like, I'm like this is a one of the most genuine reactions like from him yeah, I see that, and, yeah. And anything I've seen with him so I, I could tell he's extremely happy and I, I kind of felt that with him
0: yeah wow this was fast <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can only guess that Mysterio or Conan or both might actually be a little hurt from the earlier matches because it felt like we really could have had a much longer match between these teams. I think the ending was the right way to end the match, but it just felt like it really could have gone longer. And the Steiners getting a second fast win doesn't really seem to add much to their story tonight. They already had one, you know. Mm -hmm. There was some promising counter-wrestling starting out, but that's all we really got of this match to me, the start. Unlike with the skyscrapers match earlier, I'm pretty sad about the, this time. They did pack in as much as they could in the short time that they took, but I felt honestly kind of underwhelmed. I hope there's another match between these teams somewhere. I think it would have some real potential, but we didn't really get, you know, enough here.
3: Yeah, it's definitely too short to be what it truly could be, but it's, the parts you get are really nice, mm-hmm. so I can't complain too much about that.
1: Yeah, I'm still frustrated with the the, the graphic. I'm like. Canada should have won, so we have white versus yellow <laughs> in the bottom as well.
3: <laughs> this is uh, Rey Mysterio Sr.'s only WCW show, to my knowledge. So it's not to say they didn't wrestle in AAA or anywhere else, but as far as I know, there's nothing in WCW between these two teams again. Obviously, as you noted earlier, Rey Mysterio's uh, nephew will come in and have a much longer stay in WCW yes. than, than his uncle did. His uncle did star in the horror film *WrestleManiac*, so I guess he has that going for him. <laughs> Conan is obviously someone we'll see a lot more of later. It's interesting because he'll come in a few years from now, but for whatever reason, we won't actually see him on a starcade until
0: 1998.
3: Wow! Yeah, I just various reasons for it. Like he'd be injured one year, I think, and just or not in a big, hope profile match.
0: Yeah, because I know he's there by like '96.
3: Well, oh, there by 95, I think. Him and one-man gang over the U.S. title. The oh, guy, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. By the time we see him next, other than his body type, you may not even recognize him. Yeah. So interesting to see how that works.
0: We go back to Tony, and he's with Barry Windham and Arn Anderson as we get shots of an attack on Ric Flair in his limo earlier, engineered by temporary chauffeur Teddy Long. Long had to serve as Flair's chauffeur for a day because Flair beat Butch Reed at the recent Clash of the Champions. If Reed had won, Long would have gotten Flair's limo and yacht. So honestly, I would have taken that bet if I were Long too. It's pretty uh high return.
3: <laughs> it's Flair, you probably put in in tiny
4: wording
0: for a day. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs>
4: Jim Ross, Paulie Dangerously, thank you very much. Now we all saw what happened on the fame limousine ride. Nature boy Ric Flair, of course, in his limousine with Theodore Long, and it all transpired. He said at the top Get of the show the that right Nature boy Ric Flair has been now been pulled out of this, this team match, on. and here You're they are. He's at any up tournament. Up Flair pulled You're himself out. Up Believe up you up me, up whenever again. you sign one, one it. horseman, it. you sign them all, and we're going to win this world title match tonight. Tony Giovanni, the people of St. Louis have been geared for violence. Pure, unadulterated violence. Doom, this thing didn't start out personal. You made it that way. Now, buckles, cowboy boots, chairs, baseball bats, (laughs) anything goes. We got nothing to lose. You look at these faces, beat on them all you want. You, in turn, have got everything to lose The the world title. <laughs> All right, Jim and Paul H, certainly it shapes up for maybe one of the most violent matches we've ever seen right here. Let's go back to you.
0: I can't really judge Wyndham's interview, as I couldn't hear most of it, because they're playing the audio of the attack underneath it. Anderson's, though, I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Short, but intense, deadly serious. Mm-hmm. It gets across how upset and how enraged he is about what happened to Flair. When you want to make sure that people buy an angle entirely, you bring in Arne Anderson. Really, really good performance here to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, they definitely should have decided whether they're going to show the video package and then talk.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> or show it silent underneath it or something. Yeah, you know?
3: Because what they did was just they overlapped and it yeah. kind of
1: messed it up a bit.
0: Could just be a technical thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always entirely possible with WCW that they didn't mean to play the audio, so... You know, who knows?
1: Or at least fade it down when it came time to back to the interview.
0: Yeah.
3: It would not surprise me.
0: The sixth match of the tournament is the team from the USSR, Viktor Zangiev and Salman Hasimikov, versus the team from Japan, the Great Muda and Mr. Saito. Paul does a really nice job, actually, of building up the teams here and uh, notes that it's going to be Olympian versus Olympian. That's true, yeah. Muda and Zangiev cautiously start off, and rapid counter-wrestling ends with Muda managing to get on top, but he can't get a solid hold and he backs off. Zangiev hits a belly-to-back suplex for two, and Muda tags Saito. Zangiev tries to get an arm lock on Saito, but Saito fights him off, and an exhausted and frustrated Zangiev tags Hasimikov. Hasimikov takes Saito down and gets a Boston Crab. Paul dubs it the Kremlin Crab, which is a good name. Yeah. Muda breaks it up with a heck of a kick, and Hasimikov tags Zangiev, but Saito takes him down and gets the Scorpion Deathlock. Zangiev escapes, and both teams tag. Hasimikov hits huge power moves on Muda, mm-hmm. including some kind of suplex slam combo, as someone, I think Hasimikov, yells, whoa, so loud I looked around for Luger. <laughs> with Saito and Zangiev back in, Sayito na- nails a massive clothesline and a huge belly-to-back suplex for the win. With that, our final teams are decided. It's going to be the USA versus Japan to finish the tournament.
3: It was a very solid, very technical match. I really liked that. It was a good mix of like actual legitimate throws, but also legitimate like takedowns and grapples into those throws. It's not mm-hmm. just grab a guy and flip him around. It's, you can see all the setup for it. It's really nice. The strikes were also very impactful. It was interesting seeing uh, Muda kick Asimikov in the back, and he commando rolls out of a hole. Like, he's kicked that hard. Mm-hmm. He didn't just let go and like stumble forward. He like let go and rolled forward.
0: Yeah. It makes sense, actually, too, because he's like, someone's attacking me from behind. I'm going to try and get some distance. I can see that. No, beam. yeah.
3: It's not bad. It's just funny. <laughs> the visual, because he's, he's such a huge guy. Mm-hmm. I think that kick and rolling was fine to me. It would, I feel like it would have been as funny if it was Zengiev, who's a more normal size. Mm-hmm. But I like I liked seeing that part of it. Obviously, my problem is just that they stop so quickly. Mm-hmm. They're building this nice back and forth rhythm, and then it's just like, oh, uh, match is over. So hit a clothesline, suplex.
0: At least they're really good clotheslines and oh, suplexes, yeah. though. That is a monster, monster clothesline in particular when he just oh yeah like absolutely. flips him.
3: <laughs> it, it's it's yeah. Don't get me wrong. The way they do the finish is good. I just wish there was like five more minutes in between them. oh yeah
0: yeah absolutely yeah
1: there could have been some really good exchanges um but the tag work was very smooth you know there was always some action it seemed like they were breaking stuff just to give time for the other teammate a chance to do some spots here and there you know i like that uh when the russians did a move Japan answered it in the next uh, iteration, you know, mm-hmm. with a similar move that when they got, I think they, uh, Kremlin
0: Crab, they also answered that with some other version. The Scorpion Deathlock he goes yes. into there. Yeah. And, yeah. I can see that. It's kind of a tip for tat.
1: Right. I mean, I think it, it highlighted a bunch of their moves, but uh, in Japan's case, I don't think that, just like with USA, I, I, I think they're trying to save some of their steam for their Confrontation, and maybe that's just written into the the story a little bit.
3: Because yeah, to be fair, either team—if you're going to believe the entire lot of the match—they assume they're going to win and know they have one more match. So yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: you can't put literally everything on the line in this match, or you're not going to have anything left for facing the Steiners, and you want to have th- something left for facing the Steiners. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a good match. It was fun to watch. Yeah, short match, but really, really good. Unlike some of the other quick matches, this didn't feel one-sided or underwhelming. It felt like two teams that were both experts, both able to win at any moment. Just about every move felt like it could be the end of the match, which made this one really exciting, even after all the tag matches I've seen on this dang show. I'm torn because I actually felt like this had a really neat feel as it is, but at the same time I'd really love to see a longer match between these two teams. If there's one critique I'd say it's that everyone gets to show off a little except Muda here. He doesn't really get a good moment other than that one kick. Otherwise, this was a lot of fun while it lasted.
3: Yeah, uh, that was when I was thinking too. Maybe it's because the one the one suplex was so scary and the other one was less scary but you know, fleece landed more safely. I kind of would have liked that they tried suplexing Muda and he could have Land on his feet or something. I could yeah. see them do a, do a, some sort of suplex where he flips over mm-hmm. and shows off what he can do. Michael complaints would just be stuff I really wanted to see, and fortunately the mass is so short I could see it. Yeah.
1: And, and I think, yeah, you're, you're right, Al. And, you know, it is unfortunate that uh, we didn't see more out of Muda, but I think it really, his moves are more draining, and... Mm. Mm. It probably why he didn't have such you know spotlight in, in this one the, trying to save it for the Steiners.
0: I can see that, yeah.
3: Solomon and uh and Victor. This is their only show in the United States ever. Wow. They were legit uh, Russian athletes, they broke into pro wrestling, but it other than this one show, it is entirely in all Japan pro wrestling. Okay. So there might be a match with these two, or at the very least, Saito and someone else against them off mm-hmm. the scour of the internet to try and find some. I will note that one of them, uh, Salmon, did actually win New Japan's top world title, beating someone we'll see in the very next show, Vader, to win oh, that wow. title.
0: I can imagine that's a hard-hitting match. Yeah, <laughs> I got to find that as well. I Really, I'm, I'm sad that they don't have more shows in the u.s i'd mm-hmm. i in, in particular it would have been really cool to see them against the steiners
3: that yeah i'm torn because I, I I really do like the match with Saito and Muda that comes up yeah but i i if there was not in reality where they just flip that part around i'd be just as happy
0: yeah we go back to tony and he is now with doom and teddy long lots of interviews this show it's like wcw is trying to make up for cutting off the interviews last time <laughs>
4: tag team champions of the world obviously prepared for this encounter. Let me say one thing right now Buddy. Rick Flair found out in that limousine one thing and that's homie don't play that. Now tonight, on Anderson, Barry Windham, you're going to find out that homie don't play that. I've got two hits out, and one is going to be on you, Arn, and the other is going you, Barry Windham. Now, sir, Brother Ron Simmons is going to tell you what a street fight is all about. Tell him, Ron. Tell yeah, you did. You get out here and tell everybody you ain't got nothing to lose, but check this out. When we were born into this world, they predicted us to be losers, but take a look at this. If this ain't the proof of a winner, I don't know what is. And tonight before the world, they will know what it means to be the true world tag team chapter and the answer lies right here champions now and we'll be champions when they close this building let me tell you something butch reed specializes street fight matches butch reed is the founder yeah. and the creator of street fight matches i was born in the streets i live in the streets and I know how to survive in the streets. Get ready, Bring it on. because it's gonna happen, St. Louis. All right, I tell you what, Jim and Paul Lee, a good point from Hexlaw Butch Reed. He's and i go. Rick Flair. a very window? I've fallen and I can't get up. How about that? <laughs> All right, let's go back to the ring. <sighs>
0: <laughs> I wasn't keen on Long's TV catchphrase segment here, but. Reed was quite good, I thought, and Simmons was really, really good. Mm -hmm. He came off as intense and taking this very personally, much like Arn did. He sounded driven. This wasn't just about keeping the titles, it's about proving to the world that he and Reed are winners, about beating the fate that life seemed to have in store for them. Arn got me interested in this match earlier, and Simmons and Reed very effectively built on that momentum. And this is a tag match. I actually want to see another tag match on this show full of dang tag matches. (laughs) Power of good promos, I guess. We get another good Tony expression as Long jumps back in as he's trying to wrap up and he gives this, oh, come on, look.
3: <laughs> so I, I do want to just go quickly off of um, Buttreet's logic there. He's a master of street fights and he's the an inventor of street fight matches, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Not street fights or matches, but street fight matches. Yeah. He's a master of those because he was born and
0: raised on the streets. Yeah. Well, he know how to survive on the streets, too. That's true. With matches.
3: Yeah. So I can only assume that Dick the Bruiser was born and raised and survived in a cage his entire life.
0: Yeah, hmm, possible.
3: I mean, yeah, I could, I could see that actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting interview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think Ron Simmons has like the best voice. It's just like this this bass. Oh yeah. Really, just oh man, you you like feel it in your chest. Mm-hmm. It's a voice you take seriously.
3: The THX sound uh, quality <laughs> voice, yeah.
0: Our next match is Lex Luger versus Stan Hansen in a Texas Lariat match for Hansen's United States title.
3: So when we last left Luger, he was a United States champion, but he was a bad guy. We now come into him being a recently former U.S. champion, but now he's a good guy. Stan Hansen is a big Texan bruiser, who, weirdly enough, is coming in from Japan, because he's just really big there. So it's him on the list with Saito and Muda. They all come from Japan, technically speaking.
0: And the Russians. The
3: Russians as well, yeah. But yeah, so basically, the good-looking, strong, good guy who lost his title nefarious means to a 2 spitting uh, gross person. And now he wants his back.
1: As you do. <laughs>
0: We see a large and rather poorly made picture of Luger hanging above the WCW on the ramp during his entrance. i have forgotten that. It looks awful. So does Luger's picture on his Starcade stats page, one of those pictures where it looks like they snapped the photo about three-fourths of a second before Luger was actually ready. Yep. A fan holds up a cloth with a much, much better picture of Luger on it a few seconds later. Hansen has even more disgusting tobacco as he comes down the ramp and he spits it at the crowd. You you you. You seem anti-tobacco, Bobby. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> this is this this is seriously gross. <laughs> it's like I know that's his act. I know he's intending for it to be gross, but it's seriously gross. uh it is interesting that Luger and Hansen are both former football players. So that's one notch in favor of the stats. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair enough. This is a four-corner style strap match just with a rope instead of a leather strap as opposed to the uh, they're strap together, but it's still pinfalls mm-hmm. that we've seen at other points. Yes. Ref Randy Anderson barely gets the strap taped on to both before Hansen charges Luger and slugs him in the face, and the Luger selling begins. Hansen beats Luger up at first, but Luger fires back with his own strikes and celebrates with a good flex. Hansen fights back with whips with the rope for lots of Luger howls. They choke each other with the rope and end up outside, where Hansen uses the barricades and a chair to wear Luger down. Back in, Luger wins a brawl with a headbutt. The announcers can't remember seeing Luger use that before, and neither can I. And nails a massive clothesline before trying a pin, but pins aren't legal. I'm not sure if that's an actual spot or if Luger just screwed up there, but who knows.
3: 50-50 shot, honestly.
0: Habit. (laughs) (laughs) Luger gets three corners, but Hansen hits a belly-to-back suplex to break momentum. Hansen ties the rope around Luger's neck to make his own try, but Luger struggles, so Hansen stops after one and throws Luger out and hangs him by the neck with the rope. Ref Randy Anderson manages to get Hansen to let Luger go before we never get to hear Luger selling again. Hansen batters Luger and tries again as the crowd chants for Luger. Hansen gets three corners, but Luger desperately charges and clotheslines him down. They brawl outside, and Luger uses the rope to drag Hansen hard into the apron and ring post. Luger hits three consecutive leg drops and drags Hansen to one, two, three corners. Hansen tugs on the rope, but Luger dives for the final corner and gets it, but knocks down Randy Anderson in the process. The ref lies stunned. Hansen uses the deadliest weapon of all, the boot. Arn even listed it in his promo earlier, so you know it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And as ref Nick Patrick runs down, Hansen tags three corners. Luger fights, but Hansen nails him with the lariat and hits the fourth corner for the win. But wait! Randy Anderson wakes up and informs Patrick that he saw Luger touch the fourth corner before his nap. So Patrick reverses the decision and awards the match to Luger. Luger sends Hanson running with a nice clothesline and celebrates with the cheering crowd.
3: My problem with it right off the bat is that the gimmick is very intense and it's hard to get past. You have to fight in this fairly confined space for the most part, and then slowly walk to each corner and then someone interrupts you. Mm Mm-hmm. The brawling aspect, I'm kind of torn on, because I like it in the sense that it does differ from the very technical match we've had before, Yeah. so there is some variety in that regard, but nothing about Hansen's offense other than how hard he hits people was really that exciting to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Just to note, uh, Stan Hansen is practically legally blind. He wears extremely <laughs> big Coke bottle glasses, like cliche nerd characters wear in like 80s movies. Yeah. So bear that in mind when he's wrestling and not wearing them. And then throwing his arm at, like, 50 miles out at your face.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> I'll give him credit for a couple interesting spots. Um, there's that one where he does an elbow drop out of the corner, which actually, like, surprised me because it's coming from him. Mm-hmm. And his brawling looks legit, which it, cause it probably is. And I feel like because you can't see very well, he's not pulling as much as it is, and Luger just kind of just deals with it. Yeah. I noted that this is one of those matches that's clearly built as a clash of styles, like we had a bunch in the tag tournament problem is this one doesn't really work for me. It's the sort of awkward brawling guy, but it's not against like the superintendent of the wrestler. Luger is, is good, don't get me wrong, but he's not like, say, Eric Steamboat, where there's a clear division. He's still striking, but there's slightly more finesse to it, so it's not a complete contrast and not quite as effective I think it would be.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm a fan of this, this style of, uh, you know, I don't like to play four corners. Yeah. I'm I'm always gonna compare it to the first match, but uh, I'm trying yeah. to avoid that. Um,
0: you
3: probably compare it to the Wahoo McDaniel Rick Rude one we had a few years back.
1: Sure. Yeah, but I mean, I always see it like, okay, if you got long enough arms, you get the guy in the very center of the ring, and you just run around. Yeah, <laughs> and, you, and you touch all four. You just land a big move and just be able to get out of three. And all you really have to do to counter it is just run to the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and prevent. It. I mean, that's what they did. He powers through and wins, but I I I think that they they have, Hanson come across uh, as you know just crude. He's walking around with his mouth open the whole time, but that's <laughs> that's another yes. thing.
3: he's trying to catch flies. cool,
1: Yeah, but you know it, it's it's not too different from Lex. Yeah. Uh, they're both power characters even though obviously one looks like it's in more shape than the other but that you know there's some mysterious stuff that uh whatever Hansen's doing sometimes you know it is impressive <laughs> I mean he looks like he's a strong dude too oh, but yeah. I don't know I I guess he just turned me off on the other interviews and and everything else I was kind of glad that it turned out the way it did and that it was
0: over <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess it's a Better than the Wahoo vs. Strap match, but it'd be kind of hard to be worse. True. In all honesty, this was alright. Luger and Hansen went at it pretty well, and Hansen was particularly vicious. The four corners thing wasn't too onerous, and they didn't try it often, and they did a good job of varying up how, how they broke momentum. I didn't mind watching it, and I thought that they did reasonably well with the concept and kept it interesting, but it felt like some level of extra impact was missing. There were some intense spots, but the overall mood of the match didn't feel any more intense than other matches that we've seen. It didn't stand out, and it needed to stand out.
1: Especially since the everything else was tag matches.
0: Yeah. I actually liked the ending after a fashion. We often see the whole dusty finish thing used to overturn a win the crowd wanted to see to hold it for later, but here, a similar concept is used to give the crowd what they want after holding them in tension the crowd reaction to it is epic, too. So it clearly worked.
3: Right. It's in the vein of the Rick Steiner um, win. They're not exactly the same, but same idea where you tease pulling it away and then give it back. Yeah, right?
0: yeah.
3: Yeah, I was worried because Nick Patrick comes out and accepts the other finish when he sees it. That yeah. like, that like I'd somehow lose my faith in trusting him, but then he <laughs> immediately believes Randy Harrison. So yeah. needing no evidence whatsoever, just on his word.
0: Yeah. See, Nick Patrick's a trustworthy and very intelligent guy who knows how to work his way through a situation.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's almost pulling ahead of Flair right now as far as being trustworthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so.
0: That's a hard thing to do.
3: <laughs> yeah. I know, right?
0: Paul whines about the overturned finish and throws to JR, who's with Lex Luger.
4: And we're here, ladies and gentlemen. We're the new United States heavyweight champion. We've got to be the most intense... Match of your entire career package. Oh baby, how good it feels <laughs> new US champion. It feels great, short and sweet. Hopefully US champion for a long time. Well no doubt this feuds are over. It's just beginning. I'm ready, baby. Alright, Lex Luger, the United States, heavyweight champion, and now we're on a championship run here, ladies and gentlemen.
0: I love that he opens by yelling while flexing. That's just like, that's awesome. <laughs> nice short little promo here. Lucer keeps it simple, but put in a lot of emotion. So maybe he was saving up all the extra impact I thought should have been in the match for here. It's a little bit silly, but what the heck, it's fun. It'd be hard, I think, to watch this and not feel happy for him. Sure, It's theatrical, but simultaneously pretty genuine, I thought.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I will say it, it's funny to do a promo or a speech that is short and sweet, but then also announced that it is short and sweet. <laughs> yes, true. This is really emotional. Let me tell you.
1: Yep. <laughs> well, he, he can't hide the fact that he's he's stoked. Yeah. Where was this Luger the last ma- in the match? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying he had no energy, but if he had done that a few more times, or just any level close to that, I think the last match would have been a lot more memorable and enjoyable to me. Both of them look like they were just going through the motions in the match. Here, you know, there's some some real uh, feeling behind it.
3: San Hansen, at this point, he basically he's splitting his time between two promotions, uh, World Championship Wrestling and All Japan Pro Wrestling. Following this feud, he hangs around for a little while, sort of balancing the two out. WCW then reveals their new plan for him, which involves a series of vignettes featuring three desperados. Oh my gosh. Which are three cowboys that walk into a really obvious tiny set of a town with constant terrible guitar music playing, telling all the jokes basically that would have been cut out of Blazing Saddles in the very first draft. The whole premise of these is they're going around Texas towns in old West areas, but also in 1990 somehow. I don't know how that works. Looking for Stan Hansen. Then she sees that and promptly leaves the company.
0: Wow. Unfortunately, they let him watch those promos with his glasses on.
3: There you go, yeah. <laughs> he would not He would have stayed if he hadn't, yeah. As for um, Lex here, his U.S. title run goes very well, and in fact, his luck increases even more so by the middle of the year when the big event happened, which I will discuss later.
0: Our next match is the Horsemen, the Enforcer Arn Anderson and Barry Windham versus Doom. Ron Simmons and Butch Reed with the godfather of professional wrestling, Teddy Long, in a street fight for Doom's world tag team titles.
3: Just to be clear, it's not the godfather from professional wrestling. No. Okay. Just to make sure. Doom has been very, very dominant in their run with the tag titles. Chasing away other teams try to get the titles, which is why the Steiners are US champions. This naturally drew the attention of the four horsemen who obviously love holding gold and tag titles. They had a match at the previous show, as they hinted in commentary, that did not end It was a pinfall. It ended with double countout, and they brawled at the back. So a regular match didn't work, so we're trying a street fight, because it's gotten deep, serious and personal.
0: The Horseman's song is definitely a ripoff of something, but it sounds pretty cool. Their shirts, however, really aren't. I'm not sure why they got what looks like Horseman records, like for a record player on there, but they're not the ones with the rock band gimmick.
3: To give a visual someone hasn't seen the shirt, it's four horse heads, basically forming like a clock. So there's like an up and down and left and a right in the middle. And then the other stuff around it. It just doesn't quite look as good as so many other shirts they have.
0: Yeah. The Starcade stats inform us that both men represent the horseman. <laughs> <laughs> Is there some kind of fusion going on?
3: <laughs> maybe that's Flair.
0: Oh, maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably not. No, They not. can cut the
1: part of the O out of Mysterix's name. Uh.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Horseman's Page is used to inform us that Doom is better at this type of match, which seems better safe for Doom's Page.
1: I feel like Doom wrote that one, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, they seem to be pinned against each other.
1: They downplay one of them, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hilariously, Long actually blocks out view of Ron Simmons as they come down the entrance ramp, mm-hmm. which is kind of the opposite of what I assumed would happen. Long is also the only one pictured on the Starcade stats page for Doom, (laughs) which is kind of weird. They wrote the horseman's page, and he wrote their page. Yeah, apparently. The match gets started while the stats are still up. The four brawl, and Anderson saves Wyndham from a Simmons beating, and whips Simmons with his belt. Reed reverses a Wyndham suplex, and Simmons clotheslines Anderson with Anderson's own belt and whips him with it as Paul spots a guy just standing there on the ramp and asks who he is. junior doesn't answer, and the mystery forever remains. Slenderman. Oh, there you go.
3: He's always somewhere.
0: Wyndham and Reed brawl outside, and Reed nails Wyndham with his weightlifting belt and rams him into the ring post to get him bleeding. Anderson gets Reed's belt, landing strikes and a choke. Wyndham tries his luck again with Simmons, and Anderson joins in. Wyndham lashes Simmons right in the face with the weightlifting belt, and Simmons is bleeding too. Anderson goes out to nail Reed with a steel chair to start him bleeding too, then puts the chair in the ring so Wyndham can nail Simmons with it. Simmons hits Wyndham with the Spinebuster for a close two count, and there's a weird bit where Reed climbs up to the middle rope, but Wyndham just wanders away, so Reed comes back down.
2: <laughs>
0: Did Wyndham forget a spot? <laughs> yeah, I don't know who to blame in that yeah. one. Anderson is bleeding too from something that I missed. Good, I was afraid Arn would feel left out. Brawling and big power moves lead to a Wyndham superplex on Simmons as the crowd cheers wildly. They love that spot. It gets two and a half. Reed hits a top rope shoulder block on Anderson but Wyndham saves and hits a DDT on Reed. The chair gets involved again, and Reed and Simmons get both Anderson and Wyndham down, but can't finish them off. Reed spills out over the top rope, but the match has no DQ, so that's okay. Not like it would have mattered anyway most of the time. True. Wyndham holds Simmons, and Anderson climbs to the second rope, but as he jumps off, Reed knocks Wyndham away, and Simmons lands a clothesline on a jumping Arn. Very nice spot. Mm -hmm. Wyndham reverses a whip by Reed into a roll-up, and Simmons pins Anderson. The ref counts three for both teams. With a double pin, the bell rings, but the teams keep fighting, brawling wildly up the ramp and all the way to the back. It's a double pin, so it's a no contest, and Doom keeps the titles.
3: So, obviously, you have to deal with, first and foremost, the bait-and-switch aspect going into the show, which is they pull Flair out and put Windham in yeah. That said, it's still a really good match. It obviously has a very different feel from the tag tournament matches or other matches that we had, because it's just basically a four-person brawl. Yeah. I'm not always a fan of those. Generally, my problem is they can be really hard to follow. This one, to me, had more nuance and actual spots in it than the one we had with the Minute Express against Garvin in drag and, um, what was his name? Jimmy Valiant. Jimmy Valiant, thank you. My brain has fully forgotten his name, which is good. But no, that one for me, just to compare it, was them mostly just sort of fighting and bleeding and then fighting and bleeding some more until the finish, which I liked. In this case, this is a mix of spots. They have good moves. They sort of trade off with partners. They're in the ring. They're out of the ring. It could be really hard to follow, but I think they actually manage it pretty well Mm -hmm. because there's not something really, really important happening on the outside what's coming up on the inside and vice versa. Obviously, anyone who's listening to me talk about these matches knows I'm not going to like it because it's a non-finish. <laughs> and a tag match, I mean, it's just than that catchphrase at this point. That said, I liked everything about it up until the finish. It's just a shame that they're so not committal with this story. But knowing what I know afterwards, I guess that might be a factor in it.
1: Doom is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm not a big fan of the blood aspect, but I think that it was really warranted in this one. mm mm-hmm. Differentiate it from the rest of the night, you know. In previous StarCades, that kind of seemed like everything was, you know, a bloodbath.
3: Yeah, that one show with that match I was talking about was like ink the only show I've seen on network that was TVMA because yes. was bleeding yes. every match. Yeah,
1: yeah, every match. And um, I I like the reverse here where yes, um, absolutely. they used it in, a, in a, a situation where it was absolutely w- warranted to show the brutality. I uh, like when they cut to some of the people and they're just, and they're calling each other <laughs> names and everything. It just, it felt a little more real, a little more, uh, personal, even if it was, you know, theatrics. Mm-hmm. I like that it, even though it was a non finisher, they still carried it on, uh, you know, up the ramp and everything there.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: there's a spot where they have all three of them knocked down like one after they're like dominoes. And I was hoping the fourth one would f- trip or fall or something. So <laughs> you know like a perfect screen grab of it.
3: I mean, if that had been Flair like the visually booked, he would have then the last one up and then flare flopped. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, um, I, that, but that wouldn't fit this match. But no, that spine buster, it, it was it was ridiculous. <laughs> It's like one of those trapdoor spiders, you know, just like just <laughs> ripped him off his feet. Yeah. And it was executed perfectly. He landed flat on his back. There was no, you know, neck injury or possible. It was just pulled in and tucked him under. It was great. Yeah. I know that the announcer's talking about, I've never seen someone come back out of it. Well, it took the ref like, you know, five seconds or something to start the count. But <laughs> They covered, uh, covered that really well, Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was pretty intense, and that's the one part of the match, uh, other than, you know, um, just the, the they're having fun, even though they're just slogging the crap out of each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, if this had an ending, this would be really, really good. As it is, it's a pretty intense brawl, with some good ideas for spots that elevate it above just being mindless violence. We get kind of the parade of finishers at the end that'll become a pretty common thing in the late 90s and early 2000s. Oh, yeah. But at this point, it's really unusual to see people trading and kicking out of finishing moves and big moves like that. So it made it seem like everyone was pushing themselves harder than normal in a deeply personal match, like you guys were saying. I like that there always seemed to be this feeling that the teams, while often pairing off to Brawl, really kept track of where their partners were and came over to help pretty quickly if they got in trouble. Wrestlers had to really stun one man on a team to be able to double team the other, and it felt natural. The weapons were used well. They felt significant, but not overused. I don't think this rises to the level of some of the earlier bloody brawls that we've seen, but it got pretty good all the same. It's just the lack of an ending that hurts it a lot. You mentioned the spine buster that Ron Simmons does, uh, John. Mm-hmm. How did we not get a spine buster duel between Simmons and Arn Anderson? How yeah. did they miss that?
3: <laughs> yeah, they should have had Arn do it to... To, to read, read on yeah. one side of the ring, and Simmons do it to, uh, yeah, Windham on the other side. Yeah. And, like, both turn, like, look at each other
0: or something. And then and fight.
1: they could they fire each other, yeah. Yeah. Clothesline each other down or something. Because I,
0: I agree, yeah. Simmons' Spinebuster looks super intense, but also does feel very safe if you actually think about how it's being done. Anderson's Spinebuster is always a thing of beauty, so mm-hmm. it, it'd be amazing to see both of them hit those. It'd just be great.
1: And there was a, a DDT that came up later that yes. looked really really good because it was like it was cocky it was like he's like I'm tired I'm just going to get this done and yes. uh, it pulled it off well.
0: This is again a brawl with a story yeah that makes those much much better yeah.
3: I don't want to seem like I'm too negative
0: on it I just don't like the non finishes. I totally get that yeah, yeah. just just this I'm be I'm I'm, on that. I'm I'm there as well with this one yeah.
3: It's and it's because I liked everything about it, and then they, they don't give me a finish that mm-hmm. makes it worse.
0: Yeah. For me, I mean, I don't
1: like it either, but I, I like that at least with a non-finish, usually you have someone cowering and running away or something like that. We didn't get that here. At least yes. they 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 still were trying to get some sort of resolution all the way to the.
0: Yeah, <laughs> back it, did, to the it didn't. It didn't like
1: stop.
3: like I can understand that point of view. man, yeah. A couple of shows from now, Doom will sadly dropped their titles and split up
0: oh yeah they've just kind of hit their stride it feels like
3: yeah they basically spent all of 1990 showing how dominant they could be fighting all of their teams and getting their experience and then they lose them um, what's funny actually is that so they lose it and i think it's february march or it's not january so they could pass that hurdle i mean yeah. they lose their titles to the fabulous Freebirds. what <laughs> yeah exa- exactly <laughs> Somehow, between here and now, the Freebirds have been fighting for the titles. Go figure. However, because I deserved it earlier, they had this complicated bulk taping where they would tape two or three shows and then sort of stretch them out over weeks. They actually had already filmed a match where the Steiner brothers beat the Freebird Freebirds for the World Tag Team titles while still holding the U.S. titles by the way, one day before that. So the Freebirds have a negative six-day title reign. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Those poor guys were handed belts and said, Here, you've won these be- You've these belts next week. Now go ahead and lose them. Yes. The only upside of this, of them breaking up, is that the reason why they broke up is because the company was firmly behind Ron Simmons. They saw a lot in him, so they really wanted him to be a big star on his own. So they started his separate push.
0: And he deserves it. I know, oh, absolutely, yeah. He's, he, he's a very, very good worker and a, and a good personality, I think.
3: Absolutely, yeah. As I noted before, Arnon has some pretty good solo success win the TV title, albeit not for a super long time. He will find other tag partners until the 4 been officially reunite again later this the year.
0: We get the Wrestle War ad again. Even played twice, it takes up about a fifth of the time one show ad took up on Starcade 86. Just saying.
3: Yeah, they didn't show us the entire finish to a tag title tournament and the coronation ceremony. <laughs> and then tell us to watch the show.
1: I was still excited by it the second time.
0: Yes, it's it's still glorious. Oh, yeah. The tournament final is between the team from Japan, the great Muda and Mr. Sayido, versus the team from the United States, the Steiner brothers. The guest referee for this match is internationally respected referee Masayo Hitori. Muda sprays green mist on the ramp.
3: He's pretty, he spits it out of his hand, doesn't he, when it's the mist?
0: Yeah, he's standing on the ramp as oh, well. Oh, no, no, just yeah. clarify.
3: Because it'd be funny if it was like the same area where Hanson is spitting his chew on. They're like, oh no, no."
0: The Steiners get a nice curtain of sparks as they come out. Looked really cool. Mm-hmm. Toe twinkles. <laughs> JR says that single elimination is the way wrestling should be. So I guess he wasn't a fan of last year's show. Apparently not. JR predicts that the Steiners will take it while Paul is pulling for Muda and Sayedu, Because the yen is more valuable than the dollar, Japan makes better cars than America, and Japan makes better computers than America, as Alexander York can apparently attest to. Mm Mm-hmm. The crowd chants USA, but Muda nails Scott with rapid kicks and an enziguri, then catches Scott's foot on a kick. But Scott pulls his amazing reversal from last year's LOD match and gets Muda in a single-leg crab. Still love that. Mm Mm-hmm. Muda gets the ropes as everybody comes in, but Hatori gets Saito and Rick back out. Paul tells us that he doesn't like Hatori because he's too honest and won't turn the match for Japan. Scott tags Rick and Muda at first hits kicks and his jumping spin kick to him too, but Rick fires back with a Steiner line that sends Muda to tag Saito. Saido hits hard hammering blows, but misses a clothesline, so Rick hits a drop kick and steiner line. Muda climbs up top, but Rick shakes the rope so he crotches himself. Muda goes to walk it off for a bit.
3: Try not to get distracted if you're watching the match, When and you can see in the corner of your eye, you can see Muda like, opening the front of his pants to look <laughs> yes. down to examine. The, I guess any damage done?
0: I guess so, yes. It's
3: just, it's like I really noticed it the second time. It was very distracting.
0: Yeah, slightly, slightly. <laughs> Sayido offers Rick a handshake, but Rick kicks him. Great sportsmanship there, Rick. Tags to Scott and a recovered Muda, and Muda gets the handspring elbow. Scott responds with a belly-to-belly for two as Sayudo saves. Tact to Saito, and Paul tells us that Hitori used to manage Saito, but he was disgusted with Saito's tactics and quit managing to become a referee. J.R. quips, the only advice he would give him is to stay out of McDonald's. This bears a bit of explanation.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, just curious, what was your response hearing that, John?
0: I had no idea what they were talking about. Were you having another one of the existential crises, or? Not quite. Okay. There was no dazzling lights. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So back in 1984, fellow wrestler Ken Patera was refused service at a McDonald's that had closed for the night. Uh, per Patera, its lights were on to film a commercial, thus his mistake. Patera apparently reacted by throwing a boulder through the window of the restaurant, though Patera himself claims it was someone else.
3: A small 20-something guy apparently yeah. threw it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I'm assuming that he found out about them filming the commercial, if indeed they were, after throwing the rock. Presumably seeing cameras would have stopped it unless the need for munchies was just that bad.
3: To be fair, he saw it McDonald his calorified, we took over and he had to throw a rock <laughs> at
0: him. In any case, Sayedo became involved when police came to Patera and Sayedo's hotel looking for Patera. Uh, Sayedo was uh, Patera's tag partner at the time, I believe. Yes,
3: in the AWA, yes.
0: And Sayedo and Patera decided it would be a really good idea to just beat the heck out of the cops. As one might guess, this earned them some prison time. Yes. Saito apparently took time to invent another hold while in prison. I'm not sure if it's one that we'll get to see.
3: I don't, I don't believe
0: we do, no. So yeah, that's the McDonald's story. <laughs> it is a little weird that JR says that he should stay out of McDonald's because he apparently like wasn't actually there yeah. for that part of it, but he did get involved in the overall story anyway. Yes. I wish I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the match. Sayuto brawls with each Steiner in turn and gets the better of an exchange with Rick, then brings in Muda for his rapid elbow drop. JR calls it the Power Drive Elbow, which is an awesome name. Muda throws Rick out, and Scott starts protesting, and this continues as Muda and Sayuto take advantage. A ram to the ring post. Rick loses his headgear, but someone throws it back.
3: I'm glad you noticed that, yeah. Yes.
0: (laughs) A shot with the ring bell. What Paul dubs a Muda line. Choking, and other double-teaming ensue, but Rick finally gets free with the Steiner line and tags Scott. Scott runs wild and gets his own Steiner line and a nice double-arm suplex, but Sayuto comes in to save Buddha, and that draws Rick in. With the Tory distracted, Muda chokes Scott. Muda and Sayuto keep advantage, culminating in a double-team spike pile driver, one of them holding and the other jumping off the top rope. Rick runs in, but gets spin-kicked by Muda, and falls out of the ring. Muda wanders around and kind of just gets annoyed as the crowd chants USA, so he climbs at the turnbuckle to glare at them. Saido grabs Scott in a sleeper, but Rick sneaks in a tag and jumps him with a sunset flip to take Saito down for the three, as Scott tackles Muda to hold him back. The Steiners win the tournament. Paul's alternate reality includes the crowd chanting Japan, Japan for the real heroes. <laughs> <laughs> for
3: once, we actually get a full tag team match story in a show with I assume twenty six tag matches, something like that, <laughs> give or take a few. No, seriously though, it is surprising to see the full breadth of the story that we expect in a standard tag match of any normal length, finally showing up at the end. Yeah. So it's kind of a double edged sword because on the one hand, I'm glad that it's there, but also means that we didn't get it so long, so it doesn't about the other matches. That said, I really liked just how impactful thing was, and I liked that the story became. The Japanese team was so insistent on winning that they started cheating behind their freeze back. They became heels as soon as the match went about halfway through, realizing that what they were doing was not taking the Steiners down, so we got to start cheating. You know, take the intergalactic tag team titles, whatever they're calling them now, (laughs) back to Japan for some reason. Yeah, but it's like the double teaming finally became a full thing and the heelish manner. We had sort of a mix of where people double teams... But it's almost always faces doing it for the most part, and it was just here's a neat spot as opposed to here's us hitting what guys back turned just like that. Yeah, there's definitely a more heel attached to it. I did like the misdirection part of the victory. It really showed the Steiners being not just dominant like they had been in like hitting big power moves and in suplexes, but actually being a better tag team.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Basically, the Abney team got cocky. Muda's you know off celebrating in the corner while. You think Saito's got it covered, and they do a blind tag and pin him. There's finally actually a story in this match, and I like it.
1: Yeah, a lot of great teamwork on both both teams. I didn't really take the Japan becoming heels so much, but I could definitely feel some, some cockiness mixed with frustration going back and forth that they had to re- resort to one thing or the other. I I like that they had that part where they've shown multiple times during the match that they were like evenly matched, especially when when you got Scott laying down on the ground <laughs> and uh they do the traditional work up the crowd while two people are trying to get to their tag seems more modern to me than this era but maybe maybe I'm wrong
3: if nothing else it's cutting edge for this time period yeah
1: yeah so they it it had a good narrative i definitely felt more about this match with the Steiner brothers than any of the matches they were in even though you know they had some nice definitive finishes I always enjoy muda, definitely agree with you that it did a really good job of being cocky at the end and then mm-hmm. uh just cost him the match
0: hmm. i didn't I didn't get that he was being cocky. I thought he's just kind of like wandering around for no reason that I could determine, and then he just climbs up on the turnbuckle and i all I could think was he was improvising annoyance at the crowd, and I was like that's a weird way to end end his involvement in the match i i just I didn't get that I guess.
1: It was only like the last like three seconds before he came down that I felt that way. It wasn't oh, like okay. it was it was anything leading up to that. It was just like, yeah, he was kind of off in his own land, looking out into the crowd and everything, not fully aware of what was going on behind him.
3: yeah, but if you look at this if you look at the story of the match and the, in the latter half, they isolate Scott, they'd done the double teams back pile driver, they had all the stuff. Saito seemingly has control, essentially he's getting ready to celebrate the victory that he knows is forthcoming. I guess so. You could definitely argue maybe his timing is too long because he has to be looking away for all that. But uh, the idea, at least, that uh, I, I got pretty
1: really fine. I think I wouldn't have thought of him being cocky at the end if he hadn't had, uh, you know, they threw him into the into the ropes and he kind of lost his footing for a second. But he just didn't seem like he was too worried about anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he probably
0: just figured he had in the bag.
3: Yeah, that's why I view it anyways.
0: For a little while, this really looked like it was Scott's revenge for all the times that Rick accidentally distracted the ref to let him get beat up last year.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Uh,
0: lots of that by the signers this time, and it again got a little comedic to see just how often they'd do it, especially when Hattori did seem actually kind of pretty on the ball about dealing with Muda and Sayedo trying to cheat otherwise. Let the ref try to handle things first, guys. He seems pretty good. Otherwise, though, this was a very good tag match. It definitely suffered from being the 10th tag match on the show. It made it hard for me to get into it, but I did a rewatch of it later on its own, and taken that way, it's good. Both teams pull off some impressive strength spots, and I liked how the wrestling focus of the start gave way to brawling and big hits as the Steiners got more upset about the cheating, and Saito and Muda saw they needed to do more to take the Steiners down. As much as I'll make fun of it, the accidental distractions by the Steiners did work with the storyline too. They're just getting too hot-headed. It's only once Rick is kind of forced to cool down via spin kick that he gets focused and is able to surprise Sayido to win. I thought the ending spot itself was great. Really well-timed dive by Scott to block Muta especially.
1: In the in the slow-mo, it, it looked really like believable. I mean, it, he was picking Muta up in between those steps, so even if 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 he really wanted to get over there, you could see how it was effective.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm but to me, like I said, it was a little awkward having Mo to just kind of wander around for a bit. I'll have to take a look at it again and see if I get more of you guys' version of it. Good end to the tournament? Just one that would probably play better if there hadn't been a tournament.
3: <laughs> yeah, I really feel like if they could have narrowed this down to three matches, mm-hmm. pick the two best, the four best teams rather, whoever won those two matches, fight in this longer match, yeah. that would been good. Cutting it all, a little more than in half would have been really good to me.
0: Oh, yeah. Would have been much easier to handle this show then.
3: The Steiners that they hint at will have a very great 1990, and uh, 1991, rather. They um, go into this show the U.S. Tag Champions. As I mentioned, they win the World Tag Titles later in the year. About a month later, at the WCW New Japan Super Show, which is sometimes called Starcade in Japan, just to be confusing. <laughs> <laughs> they win New Japan's world tag titles as well so a very brief period of time they're holding all three tag titles huh. they eventually relinquish the u.s tag titles because they can't defend all three but that brief period of time is pretty impressive for them it's, 1991 is definitely their year up until i believe there's an injury to rick later in the year or early in next year so they do really well through 91 uh muda is one of those guys he just kind of come and go in wcw he had a solid home over in japan He's huge over there, he was practically their Hogan, just depending on who you ask. He would briefly come in nineteen ninety one for a sporadic matches. Weirdly enough, he's back for a match Luger has to win to qualify for world title shot later in the year. Um he will sadly not be around in next year's show, but he does come back later. We will see him many more times in different iterations throughout the years. As for mister Saito, we won't see him again until nineteen ninety five when he reappears for One of the weirdest arcades.
0: Yes. Having seen that one before, I can attest it's a strange one. Looking forward to it. So am I, actually. We go to the stage where Jim Hurd joins Tony and the Steiners for the award ceremony. Let's hear it for the Pat O'Connor family this time.
4: And now, ladies and gentlemen, to make the presentation to the Steiners... The executive vice president of world championship wrestling, Mr. Jim Hurd, Mr. Hurd. Thank you, Tony. First, I'd like to congratulate uh, and thank all the countries that uh, sent participants to this first uh, Pat O'Connor Memorial Tournament. And I'd like to thank those wrestlers who participated. And I'd like to thank you, uh, great wrestling fans in St. Louis for this great turnout. But most of all, most of all, I'd like to congratulate the greatest two super heavyweights that I've ever seen, the Steiner brothers. Thank you, thank you, Scotty, congratulations, Rick. Thank you very much, Tony Giovanni. Me and my brother we're very proud to represent the United States and the great rest of the town of St. Louis. But you know, there's other warriors that are representing the United States in Kuwait. My great grand, my uncle, both my uncles fought in Korea and Vietnam, and I'm proud <laughs> as hell for them, and I'm proud of these guys over in Kuwait. Hey, I got one thing to say. You guys over there, get some butt! All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, congratulations to the Steiner Brothers. Winning the international tag team tournament, the Paddle Royal Tournament. Right now, though, let's go back to the ring with Jim Ross and Paulie Dangerously for our main event.
0: Okay, they kind of flubbed their lines a bit, but. A little. Grim Uncle? Yeah. My great-gr-Uncle, both uncles? Yeah. But this was a nice enough tribute to the troops, I thought, from the Steiners. Um, unlike the WWF, who will very shortly be running an angle where Sergeant Slaughter idolizes Saddam Hussein and they tried to link burning Hulk Hogan merchandise to burning the American flag and hold matches in hilariously tiny ballistic masks. USA? I didn't mind this. I could have done with some mention of the actual tournament or their competition or something, too. Uh, it feels like they're just kind of done with that story and ready to go home. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we were proud.
3: <laughs> All Japan Pro Wrestling briefly had their own international tag team titles. Okay. They lasted from, like, 1965 through 1988. Wow. And they were once held by the Road Warriors. Oh, there you go. So now it's the international tag team tournament, but is this still for the um, intergalactic tag titles or whatever the hell it's supposed to be at this point? Yeah,
0: Champions of the Universe, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I hope they don't have Jim Hur talking
0: too much anymore. Oh, God, no, that was terrible. It's like medicine for insomnia there. Yeah. All right, we're at the final match, finally. (laughs) It went quick. Yeah. No, it didn't. <laughs> Our final match is Sting versus the Black Scorpion
3: dun, dun, dun.
0: in a cage match for Sting's world heavyweight title or the Black Scorpion's mask. So, from that nice tribute, we go to JR and Paul discussing whether they'll find out who the Black Scorpion is. It's a bit of a jarring transition. Paul says that they're going to have a new world champ because Sting is too busy trying to figure out the Black Scorpion's identity. The world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Capetta, introduces the world's most dangerous wrestler, Dick the Bruiser. Paul notes that Dick the Bruiser looks like Popeye the Sailor (laughs) and whistles a bit of the Popeye theme.
3: Ric Flair would lose the world title at Great American Bash in July to Sting, finally giving his big victory. That would set Flair in a different direction, going after tag titles and other such ventures. Coincidentally, around the same time, a serious black scorpion appears who seems to know information about Sting. He's a mysterious hooded figure uh he shows up and does weird magic tricks like uh teleporting people across the stage and turning someone to a tiger leopard i think well they call it a tiger true i'm okay. going with that to canon on
0: this oh okay
3: <laughs> earlier in the year there's a match where sting battles a black scorpion and he actually beats him defending his title but then a second black scorpion dressed like a super evil um monk from a movie about the uh Dark Ages shows up to reveal that he's the real Black Scorpion, so all that didn't matter. There then proceed to be many, many Black Scorpions in various outfits and various guises that will appear. All of this leads to Sting being confused and befuddled and just generally bothered by what's going on, to the point where he's willing to put his title on against this guy who has literally not won a match to qualify for a world title. He just exists and does magic, so you get to fight Sting.
0: Yeah. Behind the scenes, there's uh, some reason for this to all be a bit confusing, and that's uh, that things don't quite go the way that WCW wanted them to with this angle. Shocking. They had a few choices in mind for who the Black Scorpion would end up being that were actually legitimately people from Sting's past. Mm Mm-hmm. I know um, Al Perez is a choice at one point, and a wrestler, I believe his name is Dave Sheldon, who goes by the Angel of Death, Yes, both of whom Sting had worked with in the past, and the Black Scorpion drops a lot of clues that could apply to them.
3: He says that he was a former tag partner of Sting's, and he mentioned cities like Syracuse and somewhere else.
0: WCW, I don't think actually ever seriously thought that they could get him since he's WWF champion at the time, but a lot of the hinting is clearly like trying to suggest to the crowd that it might also be the Ultimate Warrior. Similar face paint. Well, they, they were actually tag team partners oh. when they started it out, yeah. Yeah.
3: Before the UWF was bought out by um, Jim Procker Promotions, they were a tag team called the Blade Runners, who oh. both wear face paint and were big, muscly, scary dudes. The Ultimate Warrior, then called Dingo Warrior, <laughs> moved to WWF briefly as Dingo Warrior, but quickly became the Ultimate Warrior and shot to superstardom. Yes. All but before we saw the UWF stuff come in.
0: All it took was a name change. Yep. Yep. In any case, I forget exactly how this goes, but I believe Al Perez backs out. Dave Sheldon just actually thinks the crowd's not going to actually know who I am, so right. he thinks it won't actually be a good reveal if he does it. So WCW kind of stumbles around and tries to figure out who to put under the mask. Who will it be? Let's find out.
3: I still think it's Alexander York.
0: She has no alibi. Schiavone <laughs> Ah, there you go. That's true. He did Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a match. That was the condition. That yeah, was yeah. the condition. Intimidating music starts up. The black, the, the black Scorpion comes down the ramp. Then the Black Scorpion comes down the ramp. Then the Black Scorpion comes down the ramp. Then the Black Scorpion, sans sleeves, comes down the ramp. None of them go to the ring. Instead, taking up positions around the stage a UFO comes down from the ceiling to the ramp and closes into kind of a pod and the scorpion's gravelly voice greets us
2: oh yeah
4: it's like a giant pod from outer space of some sort the four men you see are only messengers there
2: is only one true black scorpion and it is I ha 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 <laughs> uh,
0: JR. then repeats the promo in case we didn't understand Christian Bale's Batman voice. I was getting Max Magician, Dagda, but... Oh, God,
3: I was hoping he'd say, I'll get you next time, Gadget. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Dr. Claw, yeah. Yeah. That's even more on point. The voice is actually done by Ole Anderson. Yes. Who I, I would give a lot of money to see the actual recording sessions of this just to see whether it's like Really enjoying it over the top, like super villain stuff, or if he's just like humiliated to be doing this, I don't know.
3: I like to picture him like being super serious and like sitting down with his herbal tea, like he has like a neckerchief on, he's like, ahem,
2: Steve, I will destroy you.
0: Yeah, you know, moving the, the wine glass around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Smoke covers the ramp, and the UFO opens to reveal a particularly sparkly-caped black scorpion with a suspiciously familiar chin and his poor nose smooshed up against his mask. Pyro goes off as the scorpion slowly walks to the ring, and Starcade stats come up just basically listing things the scorpion has said before. Ironically, the blurry, dark photo of the scorpion silhouette is one of the best stats photos we've had tonight. It at least looks intimidating.
3: So who who cornered him backstage and got the picture?
0: Don't know. Maybe provided it himself. He's pretty good at publicity. It's unknown. Just like his identity. Sting comes out in front of a bored-looking picture of his face, but the awesome green and gold jacket makes up for it. He glares at the scorpion as he gets ready for the match. Sting doesn't rate Starcade stats. He's only the world heavyweight champion. As the match starts, some of the fans chant Nature Boy. Yeah, I'm kind of sad we didn't get a flare match, too.
3: You know, it could be Buddy Rogers. Oh, maybe. Or Buddy Landell. I have not seen him in a while.
0: Yeah. Scorpion uses punches and hammering blows and tries to ram Sting into the cage, but it's blocked. Sting fights back and hits a big clothesline. Someone in the crowd gives a big Stinger call, and Sting kind of looks taken aback. The match turns against Sting as the Scorpion lands bigger hits and a side suplex. People in the crowd start wooing. Scorpion gets a figure-four kind of move around Sting's head instead of the legs. The crowd finally stops goofing off and cheers for Sting as he fights the hold. Sting gets free, but Scorpion keeps landing blows and flings him from corner to corner hard enough to shake the cage. JR hopes the cameraman perched on it stays safe. Bruiser won't let Scorpion put his feet on the ropes during holds, though. Sting reels, but finally manages to start a comeback. But Scorpion dodges a crossbody, and Sting crashes into the cage hard. Scorpion gets a one count off of that. Scorpion gets some choking, but Sting kicks him in the face for two and gets a suplex for two. They brawl around the ring, but Scorpion smashes Sting into the cage several times, pile driver on Sting for two. Sting fights back and throws Scorpion face first into the middle rope. Sting takes another cage smash, but comes back with a one handed bulldog and a stinger splash, and Scorpion flops. Sting puts the Scorpion in the Scorpion Deathlock, which is just a weird what? thing to say.
3: <laughs> we think that would power him up almost.
0: Yeah, almost. <laughs> But Scorpion gets Sting off balance to slip free. Sting flings him into the cage and rips the mask off. But there's a silver mask underneath. So is he the silver Scorpion now?
3: Also, w- what happened with the match if he didn't have a second mask on? He cheated to win, basically, at that face. Yeah, pace. yeah, kind of. Because you had to win the match to get his mask off. That's the idea. And he's like, screw it, I'm ripping it
1: off anyways. Yeah. That's why it didn't reveal. You need to do the right, fulfill the right conditions. Yeah.
3: That's the other thing to note as well. In an earlier match, I think it's the one where Al Perez is wrestling as black Scorpion when they actually fight the first time. He rips his mask off and he has second mask yeah. on as well. But yes, yeah, Sting is surprised when it happens again.
0: Yeah. Scorpion tries to flee over the cage. Sting follows, but Scorpion knocks him down. Sting collapses on a different side of the ropes, and Scorpion generously loses his balance anyway and crotches himself. Sting smashes Scorpion into the cage twice, then military presses him and hurls him face first into the cage, hard. Scorpion blades through the mask. Through the mask.
3: Yeah, I've never seen one blade you know. in a mask before.
0: And his blood coats the front. The Blood Scorpion would be a cool name. Would be. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> Sting hits an awesome leaping clothesline, then slugs Scorpion hard and climbs up top. Scorpion groggily gets to his feet, and Sting leaps, landing a jumping splash for the three-count and the win. The Scorpion's messengers charge the ring, and Sting and Dick the Bruiser fight them off, ripping their mask off, though we're not told who any of them are. It doesn't matter. Scorpion tries to crawl over the top of the cage, and Arn Anderson and Barry Windham come down for some reason. That's oh. curious. Beating up Sting and Bruiser. Arn DDT's Sting on a steel chair, as Scorpion comes back down. Anderson hits Sting with the chair, and Scorpion joins that fun. JR thinks, you know, it might be another horseman under that mask. But who? Sid, obviously. Z-Man and Ricky Morton charge down to try to save Sting. Terry Taylor joins in too, but none of them can get in. Sting boldly fights back against the odds inside, and the Steiners finally come down with bolt cutters and fumble with them for a bit, but finally get in. Sting gets a hold of the scorpion and grabs the mask, finally taking it off to reveal... Short-haired Ric Flair! Oh no. What? Or rather, the back of short-haired Ric Flair's head. He escapes the ring quickly alongside the horseman, and nobody really gets a shot of his face, nope. so it's left to JR to tell us that, yes, that was Ric Flair. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think helpless laughter is exactly the right response to this match, John. I can sum this match up in
3: four words. This should be better. Mm-hmm. If you really can't figure out that Ric Flair going into this, like you're watching this live, and Don't recognize the pattern. It's understandable if you're like, who's this mysterious guy? He's doing all these different moves in Flair. So maybe you're not rating it like a Flair sting match. But obviously it's 2019 when we're recording this. And I know the outcome of this show already. Because it happened a long time ago. So I'm going in this watching. I know this is Flair. So on one hand, it's impressive that he does disguise his mannerisms and moves. Honestly, pretty well for the most part. Obviously his face squishing that mask is hard not to notice. I'm sure that was very, very pleasant oh, that to work to through. I like the finish, that it's, it's a strong sting victory. It's just everything following that is so muddied because it's everyone in it and then there's no big payoff. The storyline's been going for like four or five months at this point, I believe. It's been gone for a while, and the payoff is a guy with blonde hair you can kind of see crawling away while the camera does not get a shot of him. Yeah. It's disappointing, sadly.
1: Well, the hair is unmistakable. At least the, the front of it, you know, like if, if he chopped off the rest of his mullet, so be it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I thought it was flare when the scorpion came out of its pot or whatever, his <laughs> chrysalis. <laughs>
3: yeah, I don't know how you describe that, honestly. No, it,
1: it's, it was just a, you know, little geodesic thing. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, they're obviously going to have him come through the floor and they're going to do some something to either smoke or lights or whatever yeah. so they could come through the bottom and oh it's magic i'm sitting here thinking like before i can the 90s footage can you discern what the face is <laughs> i'm like that overcoat that shiny thing only rick flair has something that that gaudy <laughs> there
0: you go <laughs> period i wondered yeah i was gonna ask you that's because i didn't know if you had heard anything about this storyline before no. so i i wondered when exactly you were certain that it was Rick.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I mean, I didn't notice it from the face, like, when he was coming by, but I had a good feeling just a, a few minutes into the match, I'm like, oh, that has to be him. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a certain cautiousness. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like, Rick's it always has, like, a paced match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what this was. Even though th- there were different moves, it didn't really fit any other character. I was hoping they would introduce someone new. That was my hope. Yeah. Or Tony Schiavone.
3: (laughs) Supposedly, before they finally set on Flair, they had really considered it being Wyndham. Yes. But he had done a disguise at anything very, very recently, and Flair basically bit the bullet on it figuring he could overcome this stupid angle, and he did, so.
0: So, Al... Last year you asked if a Sting versus Flair match could be anything but good. Yeah. I guess we found out. This wasn't actively bad, I don't think. No. But it definitely wasn't good. No. It's pretty slow, and it lacks the personality and the chemistry that these two traditionally have. It's easy to understand why Flair's having to pretend that he's not Ric Flair, so he can't let his personality shine through like he usually does. Sting does his best to keep up the emotion— And he does at least manage to get the crowd behind him despite everything else. He is still Sting, after all. Yes. If this lost like five minutes of the slower portion, I think it could actually be pretty good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The intensity really ramped up in the last couple of minutes, basically from the Scorpion Deathlock on. And the ending is good. And dang, that face-first chuck into the cage that Sting does is amazing. Otherwise, I really found this quite dull. Flair does do an impressive job, though, of fighting almost entirely like he's somebody else. As you mentioned, John, the pace is kind of similar, but he's really doing a lot of different moves that you don't see from Flair. There's only one or two spots where I felt like he moved like Ric Flair or did something the way that Ric Flair would do it. As Paul points out at one point, he spends most of the match avoiding making any verbal noises at all, which had to be kind of tough. Some of the crowd clearly did figure it out, or maybe they found out from The Observer or one of the other wrestling news magazines that I think were really coming to their own about this time. I don't know. But I actually don't think I would have figured it out if I hadn't already known, at least not right up until around the end. So, interesting performance, but not a good match.
3: Honestly, what I would have done, first thing you do, take away the mask versus title thing. I would have had the Black Scorpion do a big promo on Sting, maybe at the Clash Champions, and basically say, I will reveal my identity to the world if you sign the dotted line first and put your world title on the line for a match. And then go into this show, you have the fake black scorpion to keep the ruse going, even do the silly alien pod thing. Black Scorpion like is like tucked down on one knee, you know, like Terminator coming out of the portal and then slowly stand up and rip the mask off, reveal that Flair. And run into the cage and start the match. Yeah. So you get all that prestige and silliness out of the way and have a Flair-Sting cage match.
0: They could just have a good match then. Yeah, I think that would have worked better. And those who like Flair
1: could actually cheer for Flair. Yeah. I probably would have had them unmasked in the middle. I know that they did that with the secondary mask, but...
0: Yeah, I could see that working too.
3: So, after being a solid world champion with all sorts of silliness, Sting title run eventually ends pretty abruptly at a house show in January.
0: Oh. Two?
3: Rick Flair. Woo. Which
0: is weird. Is his hair back? No, I think this is pretty much Flair's haircut for yeah. the rest of his career, actually.
3: Yeah, so Rick, after all this elaborate ruse, doesn't win the title in the big match, and this wins at a house show by cheating. Sting takes his loss in stride and starts telling him for the U.S. title. Oh, and some other thing happens. Uh, Flair leaves the company.
0: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So he'll have some shows we'll get to uh, from 1991. Mm-hmm. But yeah, before the next Starcade, Rick Flair heads off to the greener pastures of the WWF. We'll go into the details of that at a later date. I think we should save that for when we're doing a show closer to that time. Yeah, or do a Great American or do great the sh- Bash. Yeah. Yes,
3: where the show happens, yeah.
0: But for the next two years, no Flair. Nope. Now, Flair will return and will consistently wrestle for the company once he does, so we've got many more Flair matches in the 90s. Oh, yeah. But it's still a pretty shocking loss for WCW. Flair has been in the main event of every single Starcade so far. Yeah. All eight shows from 1983 through 1990. It is impossible, I think, to name anyone more central to the starcades that we've seen, or the companies that made them, than Ric Flair. It's a pretty stunning break, and I honestly wonder how the next shows are going to feel. Will Flair's absence be felt, or will someone have stepped into his place? Will it be an opportunity, or a gap? I guess we'll see.
3: It's going to be hard, but I I have a feeling that the people coming in will make it less painful than it sounds.
1: I had so many alternate stories of, of where it could go, <laughs> not, <laughs> not 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 knowing. You know, I think they could have really done some more with the Black Scorpion angle. It could be Flair's alternate personality. <laughs> yeah. And or maybe Black Scorpion's just uh you know the mask and and it chooses <laughs> its avatar or whatever.
3: He's Doctor Fate now.
1: No, yeah, maybe maybe yeah, but <laughs> I, I was thinking more like they could have done something with Rick.
0: Fireworks go off, we get a quick Happy Holidays in lieu of credits, and Starcade 90 is done. Thoughts on this show with a lot of matches?
3: <laughs> if you take it as one straight show, it is definitely long, the formulas tend to run together, and which is a shame because it really takes away from good performances that are fortunately on this show where there's 6,000 tag matches, and they're all fairly short because there's so many matches on a show that's the same length as the last one. Given the network, you can just watch it any match you please. You can watch mm-hmm. them in the order you want. You can jump around. It's honestly, I mostly say, better to do that. Or at the very least, take in sections. So, watch a section, then watch another sec- If Basically, if you reach the point where you're distracted from what's happening because you feel like you're watching yet another tag match, that'd be where I would stop it. Think of it like a TV show. You can binge watch... Entire show and get all of it, and then you're stuck for you know two years without another episode of the show, where you can watch it little bits at a time, and get more out of each section that way. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say with the show.
1: Oh, where to begin? <laughs> 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 it is a bit of a marathon, but the show has a, a a lot going for it in that you get some variety here and there. I could have done without the tournament, honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you wouldn't have a show. Yeah, I think that yes, this is something that this is a seven-course meal. You you might want to take a, a little bit of a break. I watched it in two show in two sittings, and even then, when I got to the final match, I was like, okay, all right, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was I was happy Sting was in the final match, of course, but mm. it's going to be very difficult for me to to choose a match of the night when there's so many matches. And some of them are only like a minute or two minutes long, so you'd think that it would be a little bit easier. But I'm glad I watched it. I wish I had had a little bit different resolution at the end, personally, but it wasn't bad.
0: Yeah, this was an odd show, and not just because of the Black Scorpion angle. A huge array of tag matches, half the show without a real story because it's all a tournament with teams we don't know. Lots of short matches, some of them really more squashes than anything else. Silly 90s gimmicks like Michael Wall Street and the Black Scorpion. Lots of old references, not that we have room to talk, from Paul E. Dangerously. Those bizarre banners in Luger and Sting's entrances, the increasingly unnecessary Starkade stats that JR just basically reads verbatim. (laughs) It all came together into a very strange experience. I'm still ticked off that there's 10 tag matches on this thing. The tournament is alright, most of the matches are short and they do have variety, but did we really need yet more tag matches outside the tournament? And honestly, did the whole tournament really have to be on this show? Could we just do the semifinals and the finals, maybe? Maybe drop the Freebirds vs. Morton and Rich, and the Skyscrapers vs. Cat and Madman, too. Give the Horsemen vs. Doom an ending. I did find myself, actually, however, enjoying watching this all the same. It kept moving along pretty well. It has lots of interviews, but they're spaced out well and kept short, so they're consistently adding to the show and never slowed it down. I felt like the show was put together pretty well. Entrances were back to their full pomp and circumstance, so this felt like a big, important show. If there had to be a lot of tag matches, or 14 matches overall, and there didn't... (laughs) But if there did... (laughs) The tournament was a good choice. Lots of unfamiliar teams meant everything felt fresh, and it was easier to maintain interest. They didn't do much of the Face and Peril stuff either. The right two teams went to the final, though I'd have loved to see the Steiners versus the USSR team as well. The show's ending feels really flat. Sting just unmasked the Scorpion, we don't get a good shot of Flair's face, and the show just ends. No Sting interview, no wrap-up of any kind. JR actually says we've got about two minutes towards the end of the show. They are pulling the we're desperately out of time as you're trying to conclude... Your big, epic storyline. Plan it out so you can give it a properly big finish. A good Sting promo where he got really mad at Flair could have done a lot to salvage that mess, for one. It feels really weird that we don't get one, but at least he doesn't start one and get cut off like last year, I guess. (laughs) As for the announcers, I thought they worked alright, but I found Paulie pretty irritating at times, honestly. He had some good moments, like the Skyscrapers promo, but his arguments with JR and his jokes were hit or miss. The team worked overall, but it didn't seem smooth. Paul's loudmouth act sometimes works, but sometimes just distracts. I can't call this a good show, but it is kind of interesting. Oddly, I think last year's was a higher quality show, but this one is actually a little easier for me to recommend, watching as a whole. Yeah. It just kind of flows better, there's no real spots where it drags, even if you drift in and out of actual interest. But... Don't watch this just for the Black Scorpion. The funnier stuff is all on earlier shows. True. Do not put commercials
1: in your show that are more interesting than the show you're watching. (laughs) Not once, but twice. Yes. Fair enough. If they had done a promo in the show about an upcoming match, or that they maybe had shown the commercial earlier... Yeah. I would have loved that. If they had done a commercial with that much amped up... (laughs) Yes, thing for the Black Scorpion, I would be behind that. I yes. would, I'd be like, I want to see this this UFO thing drop, you know.
0: All right, match of the night and MVP. Al, you want to go first?
3: Sure. So what I had to do is rewatch the portion, like I did last time, rewatch portions of the show that I was uncertain about, and see if I can give him the fair shake outside of this super long show that. Sort of runs together in my brain. So on second watch, I honestly got a lot more out of the finals of the tag tournament with the Steiners against Saito and Muda. So that for me is match of the night because it has a it's a tag match, it's well executed, it has a story, and has a
0: clean finish. Okay, MVP.
3: There's a lot of people if they had had more matches and more time, could have easily pulled ahead. I was actually very torn on whether I would do the two Russians because they had really great moments. The problem is their matches are too short. They don't quite get enough focus for me to really pick them. Likewise, I'm tempted to give Flair for just disguising himself. The problem is, for me, he didn't disguise himself and still do a good match. Yeah. At least what I was, what my standard for a Flair match is. So ultimately it came down to looking at little things they did that helped them stand out or they're hitting their big moves really well. So my MVP
0: is Scott Steiner. I agree. That's a good choice for MVP, yeah. John,
1: this is uncharacteristic of me, but I did like the Four Horsemen versus Doom just because it had something with passion. It was different. Normally, I'm put off by the cutting and whatnot, but it was pretty brutal. And there was parts where I was chuckling during the the show, and it was yes. a nice it was a nice break for me. The non finish doesn't bother me as much because they kept at it. Yeah, I felt like in my sure. mind they were still fighting for some resolution. The person that stood out to me the most was Rick Steiner, and I keep on seeing his face um, after his second match. That grin on his face probably was the most powerful image for me for the whole show.
0: Okay. Yeah, my match of the night is going to be an unusual one. I'm going to go with Conan and Rey Mysterio versus Norman Smiley and Chris Adams. Okay. Oh, that would be good. Just felt fresh and new. There was a surprising amount of variety in the tag tournament. But this was the only match using a totally different style and spots that really stood out as unusual for this time. I suspect it's going to pale in comparison to some later cruiserweight stuff we see, and I don't like the lack of real selling and impact, but there was an artistry to this one and a grace that was on another level from what we've seen so far. And my MVP is Arn Anderson. He just brought the best intensity I saw tonight. He really got me excited for a tag team match, and that was going to be the ninth of ten tag team matches (laughs) that I was going to see, so that's pretty impressive. His performance in the actual match was great, too. Aggressive, brutal, but also selling like a champ for his opponents. He was at the center of the chaos and felt most like a tactician in the middle of it. The others were fighting, but it felt like Arn had a plan, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. He felt legit. Heck, he felt legit when he ran out as part of the ending brawl, and if you can feel legit as part of the Black Scorpion angle, you're clearly doing something right. There you go. Honorable mention to Ric Flair for just putting on such a different performance, but like you said, Al, he didn't still have a great match, so that cuts it down a bit. And that wraps up our review of Starcade 90, Collision Course. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can search for us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring follow us for episode announcements or other show details and share your own thoughts about the Starcades as we go through. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a nice review on iTunes and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures. So join us next time for Starcade 1991, Battle Bowl, The Lethal Lottery. It sounds exciting. Boy, I'll tell you, after this show, I'll be glad to watch a show with way less tag matches and no ridiculous gimmicks.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I wonder what that whole Battle Bowl thing's about. Ah, who knows. It sounds like something you eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out next time. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgeon and John Mullins, signing off. Good night, everybody.
3: Happy wrestling.
1: I'm already asleep. <laughs> I actually thought that like um I wanted one of those animated meteors to hit me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. At the end of this. <laughs> like like come on, graphics.